It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I just think it's an enticement. It's not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can. It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork, and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850 996 Text or WhatsApp 083 396 996. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Ah, oh, what a wonderful, wonderful moment there about 29. The first, I think, big radio song moment of 2021. Poor old Terry Brennan, who's new to the parish, was blown away by it. And I'm saying, yeah, yeah, that's what kind of happens in May. But thank you so much to that guy, Stephen who won the two grand minutes with Casey and Ross this morning and straight away, straight away turned around and donated 500 euro to the Giving for Living Radiothon, which of course happens later on this month. We didn't do it last year, but we're doing it this year. Let me tell you that now, we're doing it this year. Great. He puts five, or next next month we're doing it, May. That's right, thanks. I'm so excited it's nearly May. May is my favourite month of the year. I've been saying that for donkeys. But anyway... Yeah, we're doing it next, next month, and that was just a great Radiothon moment to, to start this morning at 20 to 9. I'll play it for you again uh, during the course of the show. Good morning to you, 1850-715-996, the number. We're looking this morning at how you want to start conversations. We do them all day, every day, but some people are improving their conversational skills. And I want, I want your favourite conversation starter. How do you start a conversation? Tell you more about that and the vaccine rollout and all of that in a while. But I want to go first of all to this man who we were asking for his presence on the show yesterday. Glad to have him there this morning. Very busy man. He's the Chief Executive of Cork County Council, Tim Lucy. Tim, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Tim, good to talk to you again. We were talking yesterday about bins and litter and toilets around our beautiful county uh, heading into a Maybank holiday weekend but in general heading into the summer a summer when we're being told to spend more time outside and we'll all be delighted to do it but there is a shortage of bins and a shortage of toilets you've launched a campaign we have PJ and uh, 
the conversation isn't about around the number of bins nor about the, the number of toilets and I'll come back to the toilets issue later the conversation really is about how we actually use our public spaces during the summer months uh, we're all getting used to a new way of life uh, this time last year I recall being on the radio uh, making the point about the fact that we were out using roadways and byways and highways in a very different way, whether we were cycling with our children, whether we were out walking or not, and we were raising the whole issue of the awareness around uh, high visibility uh, jackets. And interestingly, that has changed awareness around that, and we now see people using our roadways in a very much safer way. Mm. Um, uh, and, and today, really, I suppose, is in our launch of this campaign, is, is just starting a conversation with how do we look at our county and how do we prepare ourselves for our day out? How do we want to leave our beaches, our towns, etc., for the next visitor, for our own return? to the towns ourselves every one of us are going to be using outdoor spaces more and more and, and it's simply a message of look here's a county which is superb we're proud of it we're sound people please can we appeal to people to think about their day ahead and plan to bring your rubbish home it's as simple as that uh, this is not about the number of bins or anything uh, we know we could double the number of bins triple the number of bins uh, but the fact is that people will still leave rubbish out and they're actually not people who are littering we will always have people who potentially will litter we, we continuously have to deal with that and I suspect we will always have to deal with it unfortunately mm. but the fact is that people are just socialising in a different way and I think we're all in a transition period and, and sometimes putting a a pizza box or a, a, a chip carton down next to a bin that might be full. And we clean them on a regular basis. We empty them on a regular basis, right? People just seem, they're not, they're not doing that willfully. Uh, they're doing it without really thinking, you know what, I should take this home with me. But they think and it's the right thing to do. Well, well, and, and, that's, and, 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 and that's why I'm saying we're in this transition period. That's why we're raising this conversation. You know, I've looked since, since, since I commented. I commented in the council chamber on Monday. I said if I had my way, I'd take all bins away. Uh, and, and that actually has achieved, interestingly, the objective of raising awareness about this straight away. Yeah, I was going, to, I was going to put that quote to you because it was well, in the newspapers. It was, and I, d- yeah. you, you did say, did you not, that if you had your way, you'd take all the bins away because people need to be bringing their own stuff home. Yeah, and, and certainly we're on a pathway potentially to reducing more and more the number of bins in our county. We have done so, but this isn't about the number of bins. This is about raising the awareness around. Look, um, I use the public spaces. I've seen what's happening. I take my rubbish home. Everybody at the moment who's getting a takeaway, they're, getting, they're going there, they're driving, they're cycling or, or somewhere, they're walking from their homes to get a takeaway. Then the simple message is, please, can we take our rubbish home? Litter bins are on the street for small items, small items such as your maybe your chocolate paper, your cigarette butter, whatever. Put those into it certainly, but let's not let's think more about our own outdoor spaces. Uh, if you go down to Killarney National Park, you'll find very few bins inside there. If you go down to Gugan there, in fact, I don't think there are any any bins in Killarney National Park. And people go down there and they'll plan for their day out and they'll take it home with them. They'll leave it in the manner in which they got there. And why, Tim, is it the constant complaint that I hear? If you say, right, and I completely agree with you. I've been saying for years, people should take a bag with them and bring it home and, and all of that. But constantly, 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 I get two complaints about bins. One, that there's not enough of them. And two, that the are there aren't being cleaned to what we are emptied to what we might call European standards to what we might call the standards you'd expect if you were on holidays in Spain you'd never see a bulging bin in Spain at nine o'clock in the morning 
Well, I, I, we, we beg to differ on that, uh, PJ, I'd say, because many of us have, uh, but that's not what the debate is about I here haven't. at all. In fact, European, in fact, European norms, European norms would be that there would be fewer bins on the public spaces, and it's proven that fewer bins actually reduce the amount of littering. But let's not, let's not go, let's not go on the number. This is not about the number of bins. I can give you plenty of stats on bins and the number of mm. bins per head of population. But I'm just, I'm, I'm just so but, reporting but back to you what people clean. come to us with, Tim. They yeah. say we need, there are not enough bins and the ones that are there are always and, and and most likely those people are probably dealing with their litter appropriately, their, their disposal at home. The fact is that they're cleaned every day. In fact, they're cleaned twice a day in some cases. They're cleaned at weekends and everything. The fact is that there is there is misuse of bins out there, unfortunately. They're cleaned on an adequate basis, PJ, mm. and they're emptied on an adequate basis. At the moment, there's no doubt about it there. How many like, times a the week are the bins can done? Can I just come to one other issue here, I suppose? The, the other issue here is that, look, we, we, it, it's, it's great to see businesses reopening. It's great to see businesses having mm. takeaways, etc. But I think I think business people and we will work very close and need to think themselves about this. And this is not a, a, a complaint about business people. We've done a phenomenal amount through Project Act to support business, to support outdoor dining, etc. But you know, if you're dining indoors, then your waste will be dealt with indoors by that mm. proprietor, or the, the owner of that premises. Similarly, if you're dining formally outdoors, your waste will be dealt with by that premises themselves. Mm. So I think there's a, there's a conversation there, and we're starting that conversation with sure. business associations. How can we ensure that those businesses themselves sure. start thinking about how the waste that's coming from there, to, from their patrons, uh, how is that being dealt with? Let's so, come back, though, to the issue of the emptying of the bins. Like, let's take a place like Myrtleville. Like, how often in a seven-day week period... Will the bins be emptied in Myrtleville? Bins, bins across the county are generally emptied on a daily basis, and in some cases on a, on a, on a twice a day where, where, where necessary. Right, but this isn't about how often bins are being uh, being emptied. Um, yeah. PJ, the fact is, look, that we we're, we're appealing to people. You're a Cork person. I'm a Cork person. There are people coming into Cork. We've an incredibly proud tradition here in Cork. We've worked through COVID. We all had to get used to living together in a different way by standing back mm. and doorways giving people two two meters distance. I remember yeah. the first time I went into a shopping centre, and you probably too. I felt as if I was. Do I have the plague if somebody's standing back from me? Think I about that. I, right? I remember it very we, well. We're now we're now used we're to used it. to it now. Yeah. We're, we're now we're we're now socialising in a different way, and 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 I don't. I really genuinely don't think that people are just just not thinking. It's, it's just not thinking. It's just yeah. those people who are leaving stuff on the streets. They're not. They're not your regular. So, so please, please take dump. your stuff home. Is the is the message, Jim? Uh, Briefly to uh, toilets, uh, maintenance, to- cleaning, and do we have enough of them? Well, we have we have about sixty one, I think, across the county, right? And we're certainly trying to make provision for an increase in in that for the summer season. Our summer season generally opens. We have our lifeguards on beaches from uh, June weekend on. That's the kind of period, you know, June, July, August, September. And we're currently working at the moment to see can we increase significantly the the amount of of, of public toilet mm. facilities. Are you thinking about port to lose in places like yes, Fountainstown yes, and that kind yes. of thing? Certainly, we're, certainly we'll look at that at the moment, right? There's probably I won't I won't I won't get them, but there's, there there are particular beaches and particular areas where people will naturally congregate. There are the hot spots all over the way the, the coast and that in particular, right? And we're working there at the moment. See, can we? make particular provision for those toilets are cleaned on a daily basis I know for a fact I look I was complimented there and I, I never passed on my compliments back to our staff in Bantry and actually I shouldn't if, if anyone was listening to my compliments to them where people went into a public toilet at I think about 11 or 12 in the morning yeah. spotlessly clean came back at 4 in the evening unfortunately there was you know paper on the ground etc just again people yeah. aren't leaving it and how often Tim are they, they checked like would there be would there be a warden for example going around 
checking they're, toilets they're, around they're, the county? They're cleaned every day by our own staff, PJ. And and look, there's a, there's an element of, again, personal responsibility here. If mm. you go into your own toilet, you probably clean it every day or every second day and you won't leave the stuff on the floor. You'll deal with it appropriately. You'll make mm. sure that you're, that, you're, that you're leaving the place clean for the next person yeah. who uses it. When and you we, go in, and when I go in, I expect it to be clean yeah. and, I, and, and I will leave it like that after me as in well. In the present climate, have we sanitizer? Have we... Running water? There's, have we there's soap? Always, there's always soaps in our toilets, absolutely. And 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 look, that's an issue that we'll start looking at. How regularly they need to be cleaned, be refilled, and that type of stuff as well, right? These we're we're all in transition in this uh, PJ. Um, you know, I, it's it's this isn't about right or wrong in any way whatsoever. You know. No, and, I'd, I'd, and, and, and unfortunately, it's always unfortunately the case that it becomes the public media issue around, oh, the council should do this, the council should do that. We are, you know, all of our staff work in the community the same as the other 350,000 uh, people uh, who live in Cork County live in communities as well. Uh, so they take this in excep- exceptional pride in the job that they're doing. And it's quite frustrating at times for those staff to see the willful or the unwillful in some cases and the neglect of, of toilets and, and the littering that goes on. So, you know, I mean, our staff have to be complimented for what they do. They, mm-hmm. they go out and mm-hmm. do the best on a day to day basis. They're working their hours and doing that. But it's, it's, it can be frustrating. And look, I, I don't think, I think the majority of Cork people and the majority of people who will use Cork facilities during summertime, um, they come here because they know it's a superb product. And that's what we want to maintain. It's a simple behavioural issue and it's just about re- raising awareness. It's not complaining at this point in time. As I say, we're socialising in a different way. We're going through a transition now again. We're getting used to a different way of using outdoor space. It's just about thinking, plan ahead, plan your day ahead and plan to leave the place. Well, leave no trace behind you, that's all we're saying. Can I tell you something, Tim? You yeah. and I uh, are actually in agreement far more than you might think. I've been banging this particular drum for nearly 20 Ten, 10 years yeah. anyway at every chance I get take your stuff home and PJ we appreciate that and your own radio station has consistently helped us in that message as well you know and and, and, and if we can keep pushing that message out through your own program etc you have an incredibly uh, influential voice on the radio there similar across other radio, local radio stations and, and, and the examiner can I just compliment the examiner this morning in terms of their editorial I don't know whether you saw it or not uh, and just to read even from it, uh, heading was bring all your rubbish home. Mm, and okay. it actually, in some ways, that the twist was very interesting. That it's actually very unattractive about us that we in Cork County Council feel it necessary to la- relaunch a renewed anti-litter campaign. It's yeah. very simple. Look, it's a character piece, you know. Okay. Um, okay. So, we we'll talk again maybe across the summer, see how it's going for you. Tim Lucy, uh, the Chief Executive of Cork County Council. We used to call him the County Manager one time. The <laughs> Chief Executive, Tim Lucy. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate it. And I was putting to him the kind of things that people raise on the lines all the time. There should be more bins. There should be emptied more. There should be bigger bins. Simple message. And I'm in 100% agreement with the manager here. Take your stuff home take your stuff home bring a bag bring a little bag and put your stuff in it and leave it in the back of the car if you're going somewhere on the bus if you're going to Yall on the bus if you're going to Fountain Sound on the bus you might have a gear bag with your stuff for the day put a little bag in the bottom of it put your cans into it put your wrappers into it put your fruit peelings into it take them home could it be more simple can we just talk 
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The drama is sensational. And it's all right here. Grealish for seven! Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie for the Premier League Live online, powered by TalkSport. Go, go. Join us Saturdays as we bring you pre-match analysis with some of the biggest names in the game. Live commentary, exclusive interviews, and don't miss the post-match breakdowns. Go, go. The Premier League Live online. With now, stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership. Listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or see 96FM.ie. I was talking to someone last night um, who said that he couldn't come on air to talk about this for me, but um, whoever is the guy with the large crisp packets and the household waste waste cut neatly into little pieces and the crisp packets and then dump the crisp packets out the window out around Blarney Waterloo, someday you'll make a mistake and you'll be identifiable by what you leave and then you'll be caught. You know who you are. Cop on. 1850-715-996 to Ballancolig and the regional park in Ballancolig where there's an ongoing problem with the canals out there. Councillor Garrett Kelleher. Good morning, Garrett. Where is he? Oh, there he is. Garrett, you're there. I am, PJ. Good morning. Yeah. Just for someone who wouldn't know the, the regional park as well as a local, um, tell me what area you're talking about. Not, I take it, that lovely walk down by the river. Um, well, it's, it's not too, it's not too far from that. Uh, so, as you're aware, there are a number of uh, entrances, pedestrian entrances, the regional park and parking facilities close by. Um, the uh, area of kind of primary concern is the one that's located closest to what would locally be known as the Inishmore entrance or the entrance close to the allotments. Yes. Um, yeah, and uh, it, it would be uh, affecting the canal primarily. So that's that there. Water coming, there is wastewater coming from pipes, um, which is polluting the canal. And yeah, it, 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 particularly it's going to manifest itself at times of kind of pr- prolonged weather when the canals will be at their driest. Um, and uh, look, it, it, it's an issue of concern to people locally, and it has been kind of raised uh, on, on, on a number of occasions um, over over the, the, the past number of years. Uh, so it, it's been an issue now, which has been ongoing for close to 10 years, but I suppose it would be, be um, exacerbated, well, at least in, in, uh, in, in how apparent it is to, to people using the park since, since the collapse of the weir, and that would all be tied in. Uh, when the weir collapsed in December 2014, and that had a detrimental impact, obviously, on, on the water levels in, in the canals, and the, the majority of the, the canals are, are, are dry all year round uh, mm. at the moment. And I suppose an issue of uh, pollution of any kind is more obvious or more apparent, uh, just given, give, give, given that state with the canals. Yeah. You put some pictures on Facebook of I, the stagnant water. It's horrible. I did. I did. As, as have other councillors, now to be fair, and other locals uh, who, who, who are concerned about it. But uh, it, it, it emerged as an issue there, and there was an article in the examiner about it recently. So we just Jared, can you get, maybe get a small bit closer to your phone there? Cause you're, Sorry? Uh, Sorry. Get a cl- small bit closer, yeah, because I've been losing a little bit. Okay. Yeah. The, the photographs of those canals, and I, I imagine, is there a smell out of it? Because it looks like there might be. 
There is, yeah, yeah, no, it's a pretty foul smell. And uh, as I said, when the weather is warm and uh, the canals are at their driest, that's when it's at its worst. Um, so no, there, 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 there is a foul smell emanating from the uh, stagnant water in the canals. How is it dealt with? How do, how do, how do we go about dealing with this? Um, well, you've got to try to identify the source, and uh, that's easier said than done because like, they, there are a number of um, contributory factors, and because that's that's worth kind of acknowledging because there seems to be a school of thought out there that you know that there's an individual responsible or that there's an individual source, and if we can find that source, then the problem is eradicated. But I mean, it, it also has to be said that this problem has been manifesting itself, you know, on. On, on an almost annual basis as we kind of come into the summer um, over the past, you know, seven, eight plus years uh, and it's, it, it hasn't been dealt with yet. So yeah. to, to, to the layman, it looks like like the thing to do here is have it investigated, discover where how it's getting into the canals and either bypass it or, you know, do some engineering work here. No, and look, there's a lot of truth in what you're saying there, but I mean, it's not as simple as identifying one single source. Um, so as I said, no, there are different contributory factors and what you're suggesting there is currently being done and it's important to point that out. Um, so we had a local area committee meeting on Monday evening and uh, we received an update from the local area engineer who um, referenced the fact that you're looking at a network of approximately five kilometres of piping, mm. of which twenty uh, percent or one kilometre have been surveyed to date, and there's kind of there's a lot of work ongoing. Now, even if he was to uh, he and his team was to have the full five kilometres of piping um, video scoped and surveyed, um, you, you, that, that 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 in itself doesn't eliminate um, you know the, the causes of pollution. No, the water like there, getting into it is the problem. Yeah, well, just one, one simple example would be, and I won't kind of identify the estate, but there was a household identified a number of years ago uh, where an individual was uh, power washing uh, the, 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 their house uh, with bleach, and that was running into the gullies, and that was kind of traced back to this in, in, in individual house, and that was kind of um, dealt with on an, in, in, on an individual basis. You know, so it's it's, it's difficult to, 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 to legislate for you know. Yeah, but if like it, hang on, if someone is power housing their house with bleach and clean their driveway and clean the green stuff yeah. off their driveway with bleach, that's a matter for themselves. When that goes into the wastewater system, it should be yeah. going to a place where it can be safely disposed of. Yeah, but but, but again, that's not his fault. Like. Well, well, it may or may not be. It depends because you see, in in certain situations where you've got kind of houses, extensions taking place and renovation works taking place, that the water has been incorrectly channeled, and there have been at least four instances of that identified. I know from a, a recent conversation with the local area engineer, mm-hmm. and again, not right. wanting to kind of pinpoint. Oh, so these were problems discovered after the build. Exactly. So the, the, exactly. the guy washing his house, house actually didn't realise, or washing his drive didn't know where the waste was actually going. Quite possibly, quite possibly, and 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 the example that that, that was given to me was that, that you know that, that there have been instances of that type uh, of of um, wastewater that's kind of incorrectly channeled been identified, but it's difficult to say how many more cases there there are. Mm. You know, so um, I think that the, the the right thing to do is to make every effort to identify the sources of the pollution. And Garrett, is it coming into the canal through one outlet or two outlets, or because th- there's got to be an outlet for it to get into the canal? Yeah, there, 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 there's, um, there are two pipes, I think, in particular, you know, that, 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 that are causes of concern. So could they be rerouted? Um, well, 
again, you know, it, it's a question of kind of investigating, you know, how, how the water is getting to there in the first place and like what's being done in that regard. Mm, but if it might be an easier job, rather than ripping up five or six kilometres of pipe and find out whose backyard drains are wrongly channeled, wouldn't it be easier to just find where it's getting into the canal and bypass it so it goes somewhere safe? Um, well, look, that's, that's something I suppose that, 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 that could be looked at, but like this is a question... Sounds kind of simple to me, Garrett. Um, if, the, if, it's coming out in the, if it's coming out in the wrong place, you route it away from the wrong place. Yeah, well, look, look, I, I, I beg to differ because you know that that, that it, it is kind of complex in its nature, and um, you know. Uh, yeah, but if I bring it down to a simple household example, if you have a downpipe that's not working and it's pouring bad, wa- dirty water out into your yard, you'll get a plumber out. You'll reroute and repair the downpipe so that it goes in the right place. Now, I know that's a very small example, but why not reroute where it's getting into the canal rather than trying to find out. The, the bigger picture, just get yeah. it out of the canal as a priority. Yeah, well, look, look, the, like the, 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 having said that, like the, the, the stagnant water is kind of uh, in, in, in kind of diff, different parts, kind of throughout throughout the canals. Um, exactly how many pipes are kind of affected, I don't know, but um, you know, I know that the, the, the problem kind of manifests itself primarily you know, in yeah. the area that I mentioned. It's just, it's, it's, just a, it's just a layman's suggestion, but certainly something has to be done to get all that muck and sulik, as they call it, out of the out of the canal. Thank you very much, Councillor Garrett Kelleher of uh, Finnegale Barankai. I just, it just seems so simple. If you've three or four of these pipes bringing crap into the canal, then reroute them and have them go somewhere where the crap will dissipate harmlessly, either into a soak pit or somewhere that it can be dealt with, rather than be trying to figure out who's washing their driveway and the water going where. 1850-715-996. There have been quite a number of changes in the vaccine rollout, and I want to summarise them. Next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. My first ever festival, you guys took me there. Met Lewis Quali. My favourite thing about going to Indy that time was obviously meeting Lewis Capaldi, but it was the toasted sandwiches. I didn't care about anything else. We can never tell the likes of Lewis Capaldi or Wild Youth that a toasted sandwich outdid them. By a mile. Oh, we are some crack at a festival. Oh, yeah. Lorraine and Demi. Lorraine and Demi. Live. Live. Why would a person want to listen to our show? Because I'm here. I mean, why would a person want to listen don't, to our show? Don't do that. <laughs> Lorraine and Demi. Live. Saturdays, 2 to 6 p.m. With Popsicle, Castle Street, Winthrop Street and the English Market, Cork City. The home of mouth-watering, ice-cool, handcrafted gourmet popsicles. See popsicle.ie. Cork's 96 FM. So Nyack and Neffet and the government have been consulting, as it were, in the last number of days. And yesterday they came up with some significant changes to the rollout of all of our various vaccines. I think the biggest story in this, well, there's two big stories out of this. First of all, that all pregnant women aged between, or sorry, all pregnant women whose pregnancies between their 14th and 36th week will be offered a Pfizer or Moderna 
vaccine. And I believe that's effective immediately. So if you're pregnant at the moment and you're seven or eight weeks gone, you can expect that you'll be offered a Pfizer vaccine between 14 and 36 weeks and talk about it to your doctor and talk about it to your consultant because there have been a number of incidences of a thing called COVID-related placentitis, which is a nasty, rare now, very rare, but nasty thing. Women who had COVID in the early stages of their pregnancy, things can go horribly wrong when it comes to the time for for baby to be born. So I think that's a response to that now. All pregnant women are to be offered a Pfizer or Moderna vaccine. Another big story, those under 50 who have had a positive test within the last six months. In other words, if you had COVID confirmed by a test from the lab within the last six months, will you have a certain amount of acquired immunity there? If you're not immunocompromised, if you don't have a serious underlying condition, if you're not a person, if you're, in other words, if you're a person who's in generally good health, they will now consider you fully vaccinated after one jab of either Pfizer or Moderna. So either one or two, one of those two, if you're in good health, if you had COVID in the last six months, made a decent recovery, one shot is considered to offer you as much uh, immunity as you need. They've also gone now and they have approved the Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca now for over 50s. Remember, they were only giving the Zeneca to the 60 to 69-year-olds. That's now been, they've looked at it again. So Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca will both be given out for everybody over 50. That's between 50 and 69. They're telling us all of the over 70s will be fully vaccinated by late May. Uh, it's a target, whether it'll be achieved or not, because we're still getting calls and messages here every day from people in that age bracket who haven't even had their first jab yet. They've been missed in the system. And also, there'll be no change in the four weeks gap between dose one and dose two of Pfizer or Moderna. Astra is 12 to 16 weeks, which is a very long time. But there's no change in the four weeks gap between dose one and dose two of Pfizer or Moderna. Pfizer in particular, the manufacturers said that they require you to have your second dose inside four weeks. Now, even though the research into Pfizer is giving huge levels of immunity uh, after just the one dose of the Pfizer vaccine. But then on foot of all that comes a press release from Fianna Fáil MEP for Ireland South, Billy Kelleher, who wants younger people to be allowed to choose to take Astra or J&J. He joins me from his office in Brussels. Billy, good morning. Good morning, PJ. The NIAC say over 50s only for AstraZeneca and J&J. Why do you want to go against them? Well, I don't want to go against them, but I'm just offering a view that, like, up until recently, AstraZeneca was only being made available to those that were over 60. Uh, they recalibrated their advice, um, uh, and now it's for over 50s. And what I'm saying is that in the event of you, uh, you know, applying a waiver, in, in other words, you say that under informed consent, you know there is a potential risk to take uh, AstraZeneca or Johnson Johnson if you're under 50, but that we would allow people to take it if they, if they agree to, um, to inform consent. And the reason being is we could find ourselves in a challenging situation whereby AstraZeneca and, and, uh, f- f- um, AstraZeneca and uh, the Johnson Johnson over 50s um, 
so very quickly we have a situation where we'll have to start vaccinating potentially younger cohorts in advance of the over 50s because we have to keep that cohort specifically for AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson. So it does challenge the rollout of the, of the vaccination programme. And bear in mind, PJ, all the statistical evidence, all the empirical evidence, all the research data coming in and the various trials, and of course the, the, most, the biggest trial of all is the fact that now we have now uh, you know, uh, millions of vaccines uh, distributed across the globe. And if you look at Israel, for example, if you look at the UK and other countries that have really accelerated their vaccination programme, uh, the, the evidence is beyond doubt in terms of uh, very little risk and a huge gain in terms of um, low transmissibility, mm. low mortality and low hospital... Um, and they're clearly working. Well, the vaccines are clearly working, yeah. It's clearly working. So, I mean, the point I'm making is that the faster we can get vaccines into people, uh, and, you know, we should also look at what, what you referred to there in your intro in terms of, you know, extending even, you know, going for one-shot uh, vaccines initially for the younger cohorts. Bearing in mind, we very quickly will have almost all the vulnerable cohorts vaccinated now and those at higher risk, like frontline um, and, and, and older cohorts and people with, that are immunocompromised and people with other uh, comorbidities. So we have most of them done with two uh, vaccines very soon. And once we get into the general population, I think an acceleration... Of, um, of the vaccine rollout in terms of one shot initially, even if you yeah. extended the Pfizer and Moderna to maybe six weeks or eight weeks, could really ramp up. Uh, or well, first of all, Pfizer say that they don't want the gap extended, that their, their, their vaccine works best if you give it that way. And those who are over, un, under 50 who had a positive test within the last six months and who are in good general health will be considered fully vaccinated after, after one shot. So that's at least partially what you're talking about. Yes, it is. And I mean, look, I mean, I actually issued this press release in advance of uh, NIAC coming to their conclusion around AstraZeneca. And I was just making the point that I just felt that there was a, a certain element of uh, o- being overly cautious in terms of AstraZeneca with over mm. 60s. And I want them to, to reduce the age. Well, that's down to over like 50 some- now. Yes, but but all these things help because, I mean, what was going to happen if you hadn't uh, AstraZeneca, um, you know, available for younger cohorts, well, then very quickly you end up with a situation where you'd only be dependent on uh, Pfizer, uh, BioNTech and Moderna uh, for those. Mm. But interesting, the supply chain from Pfizer has been virtually flawless, whereas the supply chain from AstraZeneca is going up and down every week. Well, look, I mean, the supply chain, unfortunately, from AstraZeneca is appalling, uh, being truthful, PJ. And, you know, we highlighted that. I mean, last January, mm. I was very concerned about our uh, risk uh, and exposure to being dependent on AstraZeneca in terms of the mm. rollout of the vaccination program because it simply did not have the capacity. Plus, aren't we getting this extra half million Pfizer anyway between now and the end of June? So there's a lot yeah, of it going to be there, you know? Th- th- there is, but, I mean, if we can get vaccines into people quickly um, it certainly will you know change um, the, the, the risk factors out there in, in yeah. society and in the economy you know death rates will drop dramatically hospitalization rates the fact that even if there is transmission it's not as virulent a transmission oh yeah I mean there's another report I must get to it there's another report from the UK as well this morning which is quite exciting the government has said Stephen Donnelly and I think Leo Varadkar stressed it as well you don't have a choice though you, you have to take the vaccine that's offered to you or you'll effectively go to the back of the queue. How do you feel about that? Yes, well, look, I, I don't think that we can be uh, shopping around for the different types of vaccines. I mean, the government uh, is rolling out vaccines. It is giving vaccines to citizens based on, on priority cohorts and are working to the general population. And I don't believe people can uh, shop, chop and change and, and request a, a particular vaccine. Yeah. Uh, and I would be very concerned about that. The point I make about younger cohorts is that in the event of we keeping Johnson & Johnson 
and the AstraZeneca for over 50s, we could end up with a situation very quickly that we would be, be curtailed in our ability to roll out into the, the younger cohorts okay. and that there would be an opportunity there for younger uh, cohorts to request either AstraZeneca or Johnson Johnson, uh, you know, with informed consent of the risks. Can I ask you about something, a, a drum we've been quietly banging or rather loudly banging on this programme for the last number of weeks and bearing in mind that most of the serving members on Garda Shikana, most of them would be under 50. I think you'd agree with me there because once you've your 30 years done, an awful lot of guards have the option to retire in their 50s. There isn't a guard in the house vaccinated yet. Um, are they not, or should they not be, a priority group, Billy? Well, I mean, they decided some time ago, PJ, that it would be based on age profile. And I mean, the yes. reason being is because the, the, the older you are, the higher the risk. So, I mean, if you have a... But hold on a while. Guards... Can there not be a special case for guards? They're out there on the front line dealing with public order in the middle of a pandemic. The the paramedics that go out, hang on, paramedics, firefighters, nurses, doctors, everybody on the front line, with the exception of the guards, have all been vaccinated. Is that not some kind of a disgrace, Billy? Well, look... I mean, the point is that a decision was made some time ago that they would roll out based on age. Do you agree with that decision? Well, you have to draw the line at some stage. And, you know, very quickly, we will be vaccinating uh, on Garda Shikana because, I mean, like, we're now going into the the younger cohorts of the population and guards will very quickly be vaccinated as well because because of the the broader rollout. But, I mean, to prioritise one grouping over another, you know, was they changed that once they had frontline healthcare workers and, and those that work very closely with patients. Bear in mind, the risk is not the occupation. The risk is your age. In other words, if you are older and you contract coronavirus, you have a higher risk of having uh, serious illness or death or hospitalizations more, more generally. And if, when you get into the younger cohorts, while you might still contract coronavirus, uh, there is a, a, a much diminished risk. Yeah, but what about the guard on the front line I, that I met a few weeks ago, Billy, at a checkpoint. This conversation stayed with me. I won't tell anyone where the checkpoint is, and I don't want to reveal the identity of the guard, obviously, but he recognised me. And he said to me, when are we going to get vaccinated? He said, I am in my 30s, I'm going home, I have a young fella that's immunocompromised, and I'm taking that home every night. I don't know who I'm meeting out here, I don't know who I'm meeting on a shout, and I could be taking the vaccine home. Is that man not entitled to be vaccinated to do his job on the front line, Billy. But, but PJ... But I what, mean, Billy? It's a simple have, one. But, no, no, but these things have been assessed based on risk. And, I mean, the point is... Like, Not risk, risk to him, yeah, but what risk to his child? But that particular guard got um, a, a vaccination. Well, then somebody else has to do without. Uh, which person are you recommending should be do, done without? I'm saying we could prioritise a group of guards. There's only 14,000 of them. It's barely one what? delivery. But up until recently, PJ, we were still vaccinating people, um, you know, in their 80s and 70s who are multiple times at greater risk of contracting, uh, not contracting, but dying from coronavirus. So, I mean, you know... But we've left one group of our emergency services out in the cold. All the emergency services, the paramedics, the nurses, the doctors. Once you decide, once you decide, once you decide to prioritise one group over another, well then by extension you are leaving other people behind. And just asking the question, if you are giving it to to one group, you know, who are you going to not give it to? Someone who, well, someone who's at less risk in their daily job. 
Well, less risk is based on age, not in jobs. No, risk of picking it up and spreading it to others. You got to. You, no, no, it's, the, no, no. The risk, the risk. The is guard himself risk. might. The guard himself might might only be mildly affected. We know this because of his age and fitness in general. But he might bring it home to an elderly relative or a, a sick child. Do you know? This is the problem. Yes, but uh, but like, look, many people who uh, provide public transport services, for example, could equally have uh, children at home who are immunocompromised as well. I mean, these are the unfortunate consequences of not having enough vaccines mm. immediately to address the overall uh, population. Well, like, we, uh, we, don't, we don't want to pit groups against each other. They have made a decision that once the, the, the frontline healthcare workers and those working at the coalface of healthcare uh, were vaccinated. And this was, and that was primarily, PJ, because it wasn't necessarily that they would have risk of, of, of debt, but it's because we needed these people so much on the front line so early in, in this pandemic. You know, if we were losing nurses and doctors and other ancillary healthcare workers, it could have had a devastating consequence on our ability to deliver basic health care. And that was the reason. And once that was done, we didn't mm. let go on See, here's four. the thing. There's one like, flaw in that. I'll let you go out there. The, we, we read this morning in our newspapers that 56 cases of COVID have been detected in people who are staying in mandatory quarantine, including five testing positive for variants of concern. Now, the one group of people dealing with all of that that are not vaccinated are Gardaí. How does that make sense? Well, they will be dealing with it in the event of there being disturbances or if, there's, if there was people who uh, refused to uh, uh, go to the mandatory quarantine. It's only then that they will be dealing with these people. Does it matter? People, you know? but, uh, but, like, but, PJ, we can be identifying forever. I mean, the person driving the bus, uh, you, know, you know, the person who might have to go looking for these people if they, if they absconded, all of these people could claim equally that they're entitled to the vaccination. Mm. The decision has been made. I just think that... I think a lot, of gar- a lot of gar the families, Billy. I'll leave it go because I know it's not your decision, but I just wanted to push you on it. It's, it's not your decision, and I do appreciate that. But a lot of... Billy Kelleher, thank you for your time this morning. A lot of gar the families and gar the extended families around this city and county in this country are livid. Livid. And right. And I'm sorry, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I'm a gar the family. I'm from a gar the family. Um, and I'm livid too. I think it's a disgrace they've been left out. 1850 715 Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Here to help you through your afternoon in Cork with all the biggest tunes, everything that's going on Leaside. I've got the latest entertainment and if you're stuck at work, it's the show for you. We actually bought a radio just to listen to you because we were always in the storeroom and we've no music and we were like, we're getting a radio listening to you all week. Yeah. It's the only soundtrack you need in the afternoon in Cork. Let me show you Simon Murdoch, midday to 4 p.m. With Sean Cusack Insurances Can Sale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. On Corks 96 FM. Corks 96 FM. We're talking yesterday to the Hope Foundation on the ground in Calcutta. In India, and indeed to its founder Maureen Forrest, who's here at home and anxious to get back out there. Contacted after the show by another uh, well-known charity, the Edith Wilkins Street Children Foundation. Edith, your people, I think, are mainly in Darjeeling. Is that it? Good morning. 
Good morning, PJ. Um, thanks for having us. Yeah, they are. They're up on the. Um, we're right up on the border where there's child trafficking and children being, you know, sexually abused and in brothels and whatever. And mm-hmm. we've got homes up there for the children. And um, yeah, the situation outside is absolutely horrendous. I think probably the difference with us is is that we're a small town. We have a 308-bedded hospital in Darjeeling, which is a government hospital, and 3 million people living in the district. Wow. Yeah, so now there are other hospitals, small hospitals around the district, but nothing that is going to be able to cope with what's happening out there. And what are you hearing from your people on the ground? It's okay at the moment in Darjeeling. It is not as bad as the big cities, the major cities, because everybody's heading to the major cities. Shiliguri, which is the nearest town to us that has got a larger hospital, is three hours away. Mm. So our problem is getting the people to the hospitals. And, you know, it's the same down in Shiliguri. Everywhere in Shiliguri is in Darjeeling. It is just no admissions, no ventilators, no oxygen, no vaccinations, no being able to um, vaccinate. The other day there was something like 7,000 people waiting for tests there and they had run out of, in our place, and they had run out of tests. Mm. And of course the people we were dealing with are kids living in, you know, a slum. Yeah. One, one child by themselves and um, People are literally dying in the streets out there. They're dying on the streets. The pirates are melting. And you know something, we're also living in an earthquake zone. And just to top it all, I just heard that there was a massive tremor up there and there's been an earthquake tremor of 6.4. Oh, good Lord. I know, I know. Now, nobody has been killed. Was that just in the last few hours? That was just about an hour ago. Oh, my goodness. I know, I know. It's unbelievable what's happening there. But as regards to the... um, the COVID, uh, PJ, I mean, the best thing we can do, obviously, people, you know, there's no social welfare, there's nothing. And when COVID hit India, the government decided to lock everything down. Now, our people would be people that have travelled to the streets and off the streets. They have travelled, they're working in daily, you know, as daily domestics, whatever, in cities. They all walked home. It took people two to three weeks to walk home. Two to three and weeks? Weeks to walk home. Yeah, because buses, everything, were absolutely, you just couldn't get a bus. The whole thing was so unprepared for it. They had a lockdown and then they had elections on top of it. Yeah, it's it's just, it's been a, it's been a, just an an absolute natural disaster is what you described it. So how can we help your work on the ground? What we're doing, PJ, and the biggest thing we can do at the moment to help them is, is, if you imagine, you know, because India has extended families living together. You've got grandmother, grandfather, the sons, all their wives, the families, they all live together. But in our shacks and in our slums where our kids are living, you have one makeshift room and you've got the whole family living there together. What we're trying to do is we're trying to prevent them getting anything, you know, and give them rations, give them sanitizers. We're giving emergency packs out to everybody. Yeah. And... Give them now. We have two residential homes, and not one of our children has uh, has contracted COVID to date, which is brilliant. Our team outside is absolutely fantastic, but it's to keep our kids that are in the slums safe as well.
and we need to keep them safe. And it's literally simple things because you have to remember people living in slums out there are daily wage earners. Yeah. So they are getting absolutely no money in. There's no social welfare out there. Yeah, you don't you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't work, you don't eat. That's it. Even if you do work, you don't eat. Yeah. You know, you still don't have enough money. But it's to get sanitised packs out to them, yeah. get soap, get salt get that all, get all of these face masks out to them and get rations because yeah. obviously no work, no food. So you've got but an AIB account in Douglas Road. We have. We have an AIB account in Douglas Road. And you've got and an iDonate online as well. Yeah, you can go very quickly onto I Donate and it's just either Wilkins uh, 79 and you can donate there. But I suppose, again, the big thing um, for us out there is, is that it is so cheap to do it. You know, to put a pack together is a few euros for us. Right. And what will be and in the pack? There is face mask sanitizer, phenol to clean the house, to clean the, the floor of the house. And then we've got rations, rice, dry rations, rice, dal, spices, things that are, you know, going to keep them alive as well. Okay, okay. And uh, I give out the account number and the I donate. Thanks, Edith. Edith Wilkins. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Surprised at the number of people effectively telling me, shut up about the guards. Uh, that will not be happening, I'm afraid. Uh, bit of response as well to the litter bins. I'll bring those to you. I said it. I said it. I am in total agreement with Tim Lucy on this. Take your stuff home. Why do we need more bins? Do you want one for everybody in the audience? What What I would like to see, and I disagree with Tim, this notion that you'll never find a bulging bin in Spain at nine o'clock in the morning. Kevin points out on Twitter. Think of all the years that you've been going to the Canary Islands and going to Spain. Uh, and believe the evidence of your own eyes, not the council spin. And I have to say, Kev, I agree completely with you there. But I'll come back to those. I'll come back to those and other things. Um, I might run a poll some morning. Maybe not today, not today, on, on how people feel about the guards. Because as we go down the vaccination age cohorts, they will get to the guards. And Billy is right to the point where, Billy Kelleher, that as we go down through the ages, and that's going to start happening faster of every confidence it will start happening faster then the guards will be gotten to but the counter argument is there's only 14,000 of them could we not take one batch just one batch of Johnson & Johnson say and give it out to them you know and I know it's now for the over 50s and all that old palaver but look is it not possible to do something for the guards is the only question that I'm asking but I'll come back to all of that we had news yesterday from the travel industry one of Ireland's oldest largest and best known travel agents and tour operators Joe Walsh Tours has closed down. There was a statement issued by the Commission for Aviation Regulation which said that Joe Walsh Pilgrim Tours Limited which traded under a number of different brand names including Joe Walsh Tours 
was unable to fulfil its obligations to customers and has now ceased trading. Joe Walsh Tours, uh, the, 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 the join the JWT set was the slogan on the television ads. I was looking for some of them this morning. I can't find them. They're not on YouTube, the television ads, but they were fun, offering like Greece for £89 and Spain for £45 back in the day. Joe Walsh Tours, founded in 1961 by Joe Walsh himself, a man from County Down. And they opened a huge office in Cork at one stage. And I thought that they had a strong Cork connection. I was right. Pat Dawson, CEO of the Irish Travel Agents Association, was it you opened that Cork office, Pat? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, I did, actually, in fact. And uh, uh, it was a sad day yesterday. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's the reason Cork people are stuck with me. Because <laughs> uh, I came from HQ. Uh, in fact, uh, Mr. Walsh, with great respect for... Uh, you know, I asked him in the office, I, I said... Um, I said to him, Mr. Walsh, is there any particular reason why you're sending me to Cork rather than somebody else? And he said, as you said, he was from, from uh, Bangor and County Down. And he says, look, a fella with a Dublin accent will never get on down there. So that's why I'm sending you, you have a Midland accent and you should be grand. Well, we adopted you as one of our own, Pat, in fairness. That's right, that's right, that's right. Delighted to be here. I remember being brought to school as a young fella and passing the JWT store and, and seeing the, the ads on the television and all of that. Um, 60 years is a long time to be in business and very sad news. But I think you were saying to me for months, Pat, it's inevitable that companies will start to go to the wall. Yeah, it is. And and, and Joe Walsh Tours, uh, you know, uh, back in the day, I mean, they had they had operations, uh, you know, out of Man- Manchester, Glasgow, Belfast, Cork and Dublin. They had five retail offices in Dublin. So they were very, very big. Uh, over 150, 160 staff, and uh, you know the, the, the people losing their jobs, which we have to think about. Yesterday, there were 25 people left in that company that lost their jobs yesterday, and, and I know many of them. I'm, I'm friends with, with with many of the people. In fact, I think I was counting up with some of my uh, old Joe Watch Tours friends that uh, out of that company, there were 24 travel agents opened up in Ireland, ex Joe Watch Tours people, including your own, including your own. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Exactly. So, uh, it, you know, inevitably, you know, when you have no income for 15, 16 months and uh, yes, there is government help, but it's certainly not enough. And, uh, you know, as I said on, on, on your program before, I mean, travel agents have to stay open, even though they're just getting the government payment. Uh, the, the rates are certainly excluded. Rents in most cases have to be paid as such. So from that point of view, um, with no income and, and burning cash reserves, uh, it was inevitable uh, that uh, that somebody went. And if if the if the uh, if the help from the government stopped today and it wasn't continued on until 2022, uh, there would there will be more casualties. And uh, we've a meeting with Department of Transport on Friday. And if this doesn't emphasise uh, the help we need, well, nothing will. Now, I can't imagine anybody is away on a Joe Walsh Tours trip at the moment, Pat. But if they are, are they covered to get home safely? They are covered, yeah. There wouldn't be anybody away. And a lot of the a lot of the, the Commission of Aviation, as you're aware, will make refunds. Yeah. And they are bond, bonded. Like if people had something you know. booked now and they do a lot of yeah. pilgrimages and Lourdes and places like Fatima, places like that. If if And these things are booked months and months and months in advance. Anyone who's paid money into Joe Walsh Tours now, will they get they're it totally, out? Yes, yes, PJ. They're totally, totally covered. And in actual fact, what would have happened 
uh, people from last year would have deferred, particularly pilgrimage people, because and I, I've done those tours down in Lod and they're, they're really, you know, they lift their spirit down there. But mm. um, they would have transferred uh, to, uh, from last year to this year and uh, they would have had this year's booked. And, and probably what they will do probably now, will, will be, their money will be refunded. But that would have been transferred to next year because uh, many, 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 many people still still go to Lourdes. And, you know, it's a, it's a living experience when, when you're down there with all the sick people and all the wonderful helpers that have down there. So certainly uh, their money and, and they're, they're of, of mature age their money would be guaranteed and, and refunded under the legislation. Pat, in your capacity as CEO of the Irish Travel Agents Association, um, are you aware of any other companies that are as close to the brink as, as Joe Walsh Tours? Not really. I mean, Joe Walsh Tours was, was a surprise as such, and nobody knows ins and outs of, 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 of financials. Uh, of any particular company, but but certainly you know uh, uh, like like all like all businesses and, and particularly you know businesses in the in in the inbound industry and restaurants and bars everyone is everyone uh, you know the four hundred thousand people in that with aviation everyone is teetering on, on that never mind uh, travel agents as such so uh, we're we're all in we're all in this together but at least you know restaurants and bars. Or whatever will open up. I mean, they'll, they'll definitely open up. It, it may be later in the year. It may be June, July, but they'll definitely open up. Mm. Well, travel agents, uh, travel agents. We don't expect, uh, you know, if if there is flying to be done, as I said before, it it, it probably will be September. But we're we're commission based uh, in uh, company as such. Uh, all, all our members are and. You, you get paid on the commission when people pay the balances. So that, that type of bulk of money will not come into companies on, until 2022. Uh, so our message is to government, yes, we're grateful for the help, but we certainly need it for at least six to eight more months. Yeah. When do you think that, look, I know the argument must be, everything must be prefaced now with when it is safe and when effort and the public authorities, public health authorities say it is safe. But are you confident that with things like the vaccination rollout, with things like a European travel code or travel passport now for people who are vaccinated, that you will be able to get back in, into operation by the end of the year? I am, yes. And, and, and it's key to vaccinations. And, and you know, uh, I, I was listening to the Minister for Health but last night on TV and I really didn't give a straight answer about many of the things he was asked. But, but certainly with the vaccination programme that's now in place and uh, expected to, to roll out and 80% by June stroke July. And, and with that and the certificate, European certificate, digital certificate, uh, and there is a bit of work to be done on that. It's been passed today uh, mm. in Brussels, but uh, tying up all the countries, the 26 countries, um, it'll probably take another two months or so to get that. So my 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 prophecy would be is back end of August September. Right. But uh, I I think uh, I think we'll be going uh, uh, starting off in, in September. Uh, you know, and, and again, very sorry, the Cork Airport, uh, the runway yeah. has been done. Very, and I'm still regretting that that that's not. That's not possible, but we can't talk about that. But uh, please, God, the likes of Shannon and and Knock and Airport and, and Dublin Airport. Uh, I'm fairly certain sure that there'll be a certain decent capacity come September. And 
you'd be hoping, I guess, that people will go back to booking through traditional agents rather than what became very popular over the last number of years, people doing their own thing online because they're protected through an agent like yours, aren't they? They are indeed. And I, I remember, I think we were, uh, we were going through, uh, uh, you, you, I was on with your good self and uh, you, you asked people to send in sort of problems they were having with, with different bookings. And I remember that 80% of those problems or problems with uh, UK companies where people had booked with UK companies. And there are still problems today because if you don't book with an Irish-based company, uh, you have to deal with a UK uh, government or, or wherever the company may be based. So uh, I'd be saying to people, look, at everyone is talking about, about supporting uh, uh, Irish companies and car companies. And mm. everyone is saying it's terrible. Well, now this is your chance to prove that what you say on social media... And, and people going to the wall and everything else. This is your chance now to support uh, Cork businesses and, and hopefully Cork travel agents and monster travel agents. Finally, regardless of what happens with the European vaccination passport, Pat, uh, and the thing you'll be able to show going through the airports, I, I'm hearing a lot, particularly from people I know on the ground in the Canaries and places I've been to, the other islands, I'm thinking of the Balearic Islands, there are places that just won't let you in without proof of vaccination. Uh, from the first of January, twenty twenty-two, regardless of whatever the European Union says, there are there are in, there are indeed, and um, for example, uh, cruise ships uh, won't let you in uh, at, at all, and they're starting up uh, pretty soon. Some are starting around the UK, uh, and that for UK and Irish people can go on for four or five days and such. But no, uh, it, it 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 varies, and and the EU will have to really sort that out. And, and, and get, you know, the vaccination is good to go everywhere. But uh, businesses uh, abroad uh, will, will have their own set of rules. So not, not every bar, not every restaurant, the majority will, you'll be able to enter. But there will be cases where you won't be, ent- yeah. be able to enter because you, you haven't got a, a vaccination or a certificate. Yeah, and they're going to do that to protect themselves and protect their businesses and protect their countries. Pat Dawson, thank you very much. Uh, Pat Dawson, Chief Executive of the Irish Travel Agents Association. And he was the man, as a Joe Walsh Tours employee, who was sent down by Joe Walsh himself to open the first JWT office in Cork way back. Um, and that's his connection. And I used to, I've, last evening when I heard the news, and I went, I remember going to Lourdes with my grandmother, I won't tell you when, with Joe Walsh Tours. But I remember Joe Walsh Tours and was wondering, what is the Cork connection? I thought there was a strong, there it is. Pat Dawson, uh, one of our own, well, an adopted Corkman, opened the uh, Joe Walsh Tours office back in the day in Cork. 1850-715-996. Bunch of comments held over on various things. I'll fly through them next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. If you want your Wednesday afternoon to fly by, I can help. The best tunes, biggest entertainment stories, and all things Cork. Join me straight after the Opinion Line here on Cork's 96 FM. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. Right, holding over lots of comments on the four star. Very, very busy this morning. So much so that I didn't even 
get to properly explain what we want you to help us with today. We all start conversations in different ways. I meet Fergal every morning, usually about 20 past seven. And we'll either meet him, I'll either meet him in the canteen as we're making a sup of coffee, or I'll meet him out as he's uh, out for his breath of air. And it always starts with, and his candle, or another, another one, another one that he, that he loves to use. Um, he, he loves to lose. What's the fuss about? Or what's the, <laughs> what's, what's the, what's the, 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 all the noise about? Terry has another favourite. Like, come here, do you hear this? Come here, do you, come here, do you hear this? Yeah, any ska is another great Cork one. Uh, it's like that saying that uh, people use all the time, you know, come here, didn't he turn around and say to me? In other words, was the conversation started with his back to you? Didn't he turn around? But have you something that you find yourself using? Like, story boy? Scandal? How's it going? Any scare? Ain't doing? Ain't stirring? Those kind of things. What's your favourite one? Or is there one that you hate? I mean, hate. Any scare used to drive my missus crazy. Any scare. Drive you mad. Drive. I don't know why. She's never explained it to me. I don't, I don't want to particularly that. I'm trying to think is there one that, that I have myself, you know? Any news is another one. Any news. Yeah. Have you, anyone that you like or anyone that you particularly hate? 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Right, let's get to the guards. And, and I got a bit stuck into Billy Kelleher. He probably feels a little bit bruised now, but sure, Billy's a big boy with big boy pants and a big job in Brussels. He doesn't care. Um, I am a mother of two guards, says Una, and I worry about them every day. It's a disgrace. My niece is a guard, says another listener. She was out for three months with COVID. Very, very sick. And she was so healthy before. Now she's back at work. Morris says, PJR Gardaí go into the unknown every call-out. They get spat at. They end up rolling on the ground with thugs and domestic situations. Our Gardaí are totally disregarded. Shame on our government, who are the first responders to 999. Rossi, though, I think you missed the point if a vaccinated person can still bring COVID home. Therefore, if that guy that was vaccinated, he could still bring the disease home to his vulnerable son. There's a common misrepresentation among people that vaccination means they can't spread it. Not true. It is true, Rossi. It is true. And there's stacks and stacks of research. There's another report. Hang on, I'll reach over here for my paper because I knew I wanted to get to this. There's another report coming in this morning. And it's quoted, I'm reading from the mail today. says, a single dose of vaccine slashes the risk of spreading coronavirus by up to a half a new study has revealed by Public Health England. And that's an average across all of the different vaccines because Pfizer, by all accounts, reduces it by 80%. We've had it explained how. So, Rossi, you do. The spread is reduced by being vaccinated. Maura, Pat, I read Pat. What the total obsession about the Gardaí? All of them I meet on checkpoints stand six feet away and are covered not just a mask, their entire face. What about all the shop workers who have to deal with the public close up? That's a valid point about shop workers, Pat. But shop workers are usually behind a perspex screen. Shop workers are usually dealing, I say usually dealing, with people who are polite and just want to buy their stuff and, and get out of the store. They don't go into situations where they're likely to be shouted at, roared at, attacked, filmed, spat at. Sheila says who decides what's getting what. Her friend's niece 
in their 30s was called the other day and is getting their vaccine done. Meanwhile, another friend who's 69 still hasn't hers. We don't know what the circumstances is, is, Sheila, with the person in their 30s. But another element of what's happening at the moment is that younger people with a significant health condition are being called. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. By their GPs. We talked about that quite a lot. So that may be the situation. Maybe the situation. Listener, who is 67, said she registered and she's not been contacted yet with her appointment. But now 65-year-olds... Is there some rush to get down the age courts so it makes the campaign look more successful? She's checked that she's registered properly and asked what the story is using the hotline number. But they say all they can do is confirm that she is registered. If you're registered, listener, you will be called. On WhatsApp, just listening to the vaccine, my mother has stage four COPD, oh God, help her, and still hasn't been offered a vaccine. The hospital are saying her group have already been vaccinated. And the GP is saying it's not their responsibility. So who do we ring now? We're not getting anywhere with the hospital or the GP. She has a carer and she's extra vulnerable. That's disgrace. Someone should be able to find out why she has missed the bus or why the bus didn't stop for her, as it were. There's lots of us working on various front lines that haven't been vaccinated. I know your late father was a guard, but this focus on guards isn't fair on all the other frontliners, many of whom are also at risk of attacks and being spat at as well. I would argue, and I'm just putting it out there, I I know even before I breathe these words that they could come back to bite me on the arse, but I'm going to say them anyway. I think your average guard has more of a chance of being spat at than your average shop worker. I think, in the course of an average day. If someone thinks I'm wrong, fine. One guard meets many people in one day. They can be carriers too when they're asymptomatic. That is another important part. Vaccinate the guard, they who are among multi, multi, working among loads of people of similar age working from home. Oh, yeah, yeah that's confused, but I know what you mean. Sure, they should be vaccinated, but then so should the people in Tesco, Supervalue, Needle, Aldi, Centra, Mace. They're all dealing with the public. That is an argument that is constantly made and which I accept, but it's still come back to it. Still come back to it. Your guard is more likely to face an aggressive, nasty person in the course of their day's work than your average super value Tesco Aldi little worker on an average day. Trust Billy not to answer the question. This is another one. Shame on him for having no respect. 
PJ, are the politicians vaccinated? Asks Craig the trucker. Good question, actually. I should have asked Billy that. Although we see that the Taoiseach, who is 60 now, has just registered for his vaccine in the last couple of days. All points, regards and vaccines, very valid, but no one is benching the Defence Forces. Hundreds of them assisting frontline workers, more stationed at the mandatory quarantine and other duties, yet no one is suggesting they be put forward for vaccination. Well, maybe I'm wrong, caller, but I did hear a conversation with Antoinette Cunningham from the Association of Gather Sergeants and Inspectors, and she said that in a mandatory quarantine situation, the soldiers at the hotel are vaccinated. Uh, if any military person wants to either confirm or counteract that, then very, very happy to take them on about it. Catherine says by email to opinion at 96.e, I think the 18 to 35s should be vaccinated before the 30 to 50s, as they'll be out socialising and partying, and rightly so. The 35 to 55 to 55 age group are for the most part at home, rearing their families. Won't be out as much and will be more responsible. The median age of those testing positive at the minute is 31. Yes, it has come way, way down, so it has. That point was raised by the Minister for Health a couple of weeks ago and slapped down very quickly. It was a discussion for all of about 30, 30, 36 hours. Should we start vaccinating the youngsters in vast numbers so they can get on with their lives and not be a risk? It's, any thoughts? Any particular thoughts on it? There's loads, 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 loads. I want to go through something lovely, though, that happened this morning. Uh, and just preface it by saying that our Terry, Terry Brennan, new, newly of this parish, has absolutely no idea of what faces him when it comes to Radiothon. And, and he's wondering what it's all about, as many people do when they come across it for the first time. So I was talking to him this morning about just how impressive the people of Cork are year in, year out when it comes to the Giving for Living Radiothon on Cork's 96FM. This is how good they are. We didn't do it last year. We couldn't do it last year for obvious reasons. It's going ahead this year and we're working on it hard at the moment. But this is the kind of thing that happened year in, year out. Let me take you back to May the 28th so May, the late May, anyway, late, late May 2019. I don't have the date right. Late May 2019, which was the last one we did. Here is the announcement at the end of that radiothon by our chief exec, Kieran McGeary. The overall total raised so far for the 2019 Corks 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon is 440,451 euro. <laughs> Cumulative total now over 12 years of the Giving for Living Radiothon is now 5.1 million euro. Now, you wonder how does that happen? How does that happen? It happens through little things like happened about 20 to 9 this morning. Uh, You're one question away from 2,000 euro in cash, Stephen. Mm -hmm. Stephen, what's your full name? Stephen Hayes. Stephen Hayes, okay. Uh, what is the name of James Corden's character in Gavin and Stacey? Never watched it. Are you serious? Yeah, never watched it. Why did you say Smithy? 
because it's the first name that came to mind that I've heard people talk about and I just guessed Smithy. Yeah. Rob Brighton was in it. Uh, your man Matthew Horn was in it. So who is James Corden's character? Do you know what? I'd probably pay you two grand to say that it was Smithy you James won. Corden. You just won two thousand euros. Wait for it, wait for it. We're at a hundred grand, one on the show. Stephen, you aced it. Absolutely um, aced it. Guys, can I do something here now? Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to give um, 500 of that to the radio, radio ton. Oh, wow. That's it's fantastic. My father passed away from cancer, so I, I support anything got to do with cancer. Well, that is a very, very lovely touch. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much. I'll make sure. I'll make sure that the, the the gents downstairs know about that. And that is how it happens. That is how it happens. And it's back this year, back in the month of May. The Crocs ninety six film giving for living radiothon. Delighted to be back. And there's a fantastic gesture this morning on Casey and Ross in the morning. Stephen, the winner with the of the two grand minute and bringing the two grand minute total to one hundred grand. He just gives five hundred quid to radiothon. That's how it happens. And that is. The magic of Radiothon. Someone asking for the number for the Edith Williams, or E. Wilkins, I keep calling it Williams, Edith Wilkins account for India uh, at AIB Douglas Road. The account number 214 214-39006. 214-39006. For Douglas Road, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Bunches and bunches of other comments. I haven't even gotten near the ones on litter bins and what Tim Lucy was saying to me, but I will get. I will get to those in the fullness of time. But hold on now, while there's all sorts of talk in the UK about the money being spent on Boris Johnson's apartment. Apparently a drinks cabinet cost about five grand and there's talk of six grand being paid for an armchair for Boris Johnson's apartment. And that's a huge political story in the UK. But I'm reading a piece in the Echo here that says that a table from Cork could make €120,000 at an auction. Philip Shepherd is with Shepherd's Irish Auction House in Leash. The auction is tomorrow, Philip. Tell us about the chair, though. Good morning. Good morning to you, and thanks for having me on, Peter. Delighted. So, the table uh, was made in Cork in, at 71 Patrick Street in 1852 by a Cork cabinet maker called John Fletcher. And it was made specifically for an exhibition that was being held in Cork in 1852. It was called the Irish Industrial Exhibition. And the main driver of it, the main organiser of it, was uh, the founder of the um, Cork Examiner, and who was an MP for Cork at the time, John Francis Maguire. Mm -hmm. And it was a reaction to uh, the devastation of the famine. Cork lost 25% of its population. Um, Agriculture had completely failed. And there was now a look at Irish industry as a way forward and of self-reliance. Cork, as I said, lost 25% of the county's population. Cork City filled with people coming in from the rural districts. 
And um, there are first-hand accounts of uh, the U.S. Navy bringing in um, uh, food shipments from the States to alleviate the, 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 the hunger. And the captain of the, the U.S. Navy ship went with Father Machu and, and gave first-hand accounts of, of the devastation that was there. So this was a reaction to that, and it was an appeal for people to buy Irish produce and uh, because the elite... Uh, the, the aristocracy, they were inclined to buy their, uh, their, their, their luxury goods in places like London and Paris. Mm-hmm. And this was to showcase what could be done. And, and to do so, um, Fletcher used 12 different Irish woods to create what became known as Fletcher's Shamrock Table. Mm-hmm. The top of it is in a trefoil shape. And uh, the bottom of it then is, is on a stem, all made with, um, with Irish wood. And mm. it's uh, inlaid on top with a harp and uh, uh, a symbol of Ireland, a woman with her head downcast beside the harp. Mm. And, uh, and this was all made by hand with his own chisels and saws and sand and sanding blocks and his own, his own hands. Everything. And this wasn't... Um, uh, he was quite famous even uh, before this. There was the famous uh, Crystal Palace exhibition in 1851 in London, and Fletcher had been awarded a gold medal for uh, what was known as his gladiatorial table. It was a table of a gladiator crouched down and uh, the tabletop and the the shield in the form of a a tabletop. And he got a lot of acclaim for that. And I guess that's what spurred Mm. uh, him for this exhibition. There's a piece, a a picture of it in the the Echo. It's an extraordinarily beautiful piece of work. Well, that's not the first time it was pictured in a magazine. It was actually featured in 1853 in New York, in a magazine in New York. Uh, because it failed to sell at the Cork exhibition and went to uh, New York to be sold there. And uh, a local, a local um, um, poet, Daniel Casey, uh, wrote a lament on Fletcher's shamrock table on his departure for the New York exhibition. And uh, he was uh, horrified that nobody appreciated it uh, in Cork, nobody would buy it in Ireland. And the same as Irish people having to go to this new world to survive, the table had to go as a forced emigrant as well. And he wrote a poem. I'll read, I'll read one of the verses for you. He said, Who can wonder the harp of old Aaron should sleep, that the wail of her dirge should resound o'er the deep, that trampled and slighted her children should be, to that earth's farthest climes they despairingly flee, when we witness with sorrow a gem of the isle, on which national spirits should lavishly smile, with all of true feelings should proudly have prized, neglected, dishonoured, unpurchased, despised. In other words, aren't you a disgrace for not buying this mighty piece of work? Well, yeah, he goes on about it. And he was, he was one of a, a number of famous Cork local poets, um, mm. and he, together with uh, Thomas Condon and, and John Fitzgerald, who was known as the Bard of the Lee, they're all buried in Cork St. Joseph's Cemetery. Mm. But that was that was the table. So this obviously made a way back to Ireland. We don't know if it's sold or not in New York, uh, but it has been in a Cork family for the past 70 or 80 years at least. Really? And it has now come up for sale uh, here tomorrow in Doro, in uh, beautiful downtown Do we Doro, know who Cambridge. has owned it up to now, or are we allowed to know? We, we, we do know, but it's been sold privately. Um, it, uh, um, so we're, we're not publishing who, who the vendors are. Right. Uh, but it, uh, we, we can say it has been in the same family for the past 70 oh, okay. or 80 years. Now, €120,000 for a table. 
Wow. Well, you're not just buying a table. I mean, inscribed on the top of this table in Irish is the words, is Father the Hoon Chut, which means long has been thy slumber or harp. And they're lamenting this whole silencing of Irish culture. And this is a rebirth. The whole system as then was, we're talking 1852, had failed. You know, a quarter of the population had uh, uh, um, gone to America. Another quarter had starved to death. And they were looking to themselves. Mm. And this is the beginning of Irish nationalism. Gotcha. And, and the harp has been used as a symbol of Ireland. And the, the first time it became associated with nationalism was when yeah. Thomas Moore used his Irish melodies. Yeah. And another Cork uh, um, artist, Daniel MacLeese, uh, a few years later, in 1854, I think, when he painted the marriage of uh, Strongbow and Aoife, he shows the vanquished right. Irish in the bottom left-hand corner yeah. with a harpist and the strings broken in the harp. So, so I mean, is there interest in this? Like, is this something that the state would jump in and buy? Or or do you think that there'll be a, a private a private buyer as well as the private seller? Well, we, we, we don't know. I mean, my hope at a personal level would be that a repository, an Irish repository would buy that it wouldn't be forced to go overseas Yeah, again. it would be a shame to see this but, thing but, go overseas. But it's the kind of thing that should be in uh, in, in, in our National Museum uh, uh, where it's accessible to the public. I mean, there's a whole history lesson in, in this piece of... Uh, um, it's wonderful. It's, uh, wonderful. it's an incredible, incredible yeah. piece. You know, there's probably old tables and chairs and bits of dressers and all that hanging around in good condition or reasonable condition in houses all over the country. How would you know, uh, Philip, if you had something special? How would you know this thing? You might have you might have picked it up in a jumble sale or an antique shop or something that just took your eye at a at an exhibition. One very simple way of doing it is take a number of photographs of it, email it to us, we'll give us a few days to get back to you, and we would be able to know from the photographs uh, more than likely whether it's worth exploring further or yeah. not. Because I was just talking to someone yesterday on the show, and they, herself and her husband have a brand new house, but she's filling it with retro stuff. And I'm just thinking, you could have picked something there for 50 quid, might be worth an absolute fortune. Well, 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 it happens all the time, but retro's very much in now. The mid-1950s, look, that's all sort of happening in the 60s. That's all very much in, in, yeah. in fashion at the moment. What's also in fashion, of course, if you've got a, a deep wallet, is um, modern pieces. And we're selling one by another cork uh, cabinet maker, designer uh, from outside Kinsale, Joseph Walsh. And uh, we're selling a set of um, six chairs and a table that he made about 13 years ago. And um, Joseph Walsh is is famous as a designer worldwide, widely known, better known outside Ireland than at home. And his uh, works are in places like the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, the uh, Centre Pompidou in Paris. Uh, The Duke of Devonshire commissioned a set of chairs for his uh, Chatsworth Mansion in England. Uh, the National Gallery of Ireland have his pieces. Yeah. And uh, he was recognised a number of years ago. He got an honorary PhD from UCC. Yeah. But we're selling a table and chairs uh, by him, and that's estimated, I think, at forty to €60,000. If so, someone wants to, can, or to, to contact you, Philip, with a, a curiosity, as it says, or to maybe look at your, as your, at your bill of fare for tomorrow... How can they contact you? 
Well, shepherds.ie, S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D-S dot I-E, info at shepherds.ie. If they have any query, they can uh, uh, direct it to me. Somebody will get back to them. But the auctions are live online as we speak. It's a two-day sale. It started about a half an hour ago. So you can actually go into shepherds.ie and watch it all unfold. The table, the cork table, uh, the Shamrock table is coming up tomorrow at around 3.30 and the Joseph Walsh piece uh, is coming up at 2.45. So okay. there's, there's big cork interest in that. We uh, might we might catch up again so maybe Friday and see how that table and the other stuff did. Philip Shepherd, thank you very much. Philip from Shepherd's Irish Oxford House in Leash in Doro at shepherds.ie. You can see that auction now. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Having made a unique entrance to the music scene with his Naruto drillings, Oficia has created a name for himself as one of the most diverse and creative-minded rappers in both Ireland and UK. Oficia has announced a headline show at Cypress Avenue on October 14th. all areas. The annual Bally the Hub Jazz Festival is set to take place on the Maybank holiday weekend with a weekend packed with online live music events from the West Cork town. The shows will be streamed online via the Bally the Hub Jazz Festival's YouTube channel with more information on what's taking place available at ballythehubjazz.org. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streamed events by emailing us here at a AAA at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Side. On Cork's 96FM. Cork Midsummer Festival is going. Lots of stuff going ahead. Delighted to hear about that Bally de Hob. Uh, jazz Festival. Uh, watch some of that online. That'll be fun. And the Cork Midsummer Festival has now announced its programme of over 40 events. Again, has to be done with the pandemic in mind, but runs from 14th to 27th of June. Lorraine May, Festival Director. Busy, busy programme, Lorraine. And a lot to be done this year to make sure that it's done safely. Good morning. Good morning. Um, yes, Absolutely. Uh, obviously, we're, we're still in, in the thick of it at this point. Um, so we've, we've really created a program for these times. You know, it's, it's a mix, a hybrid program of online events and hopefully some live events as well that we'll be bringing to people in June. Mm, of course, we'll be dependent on public health advice for that. But going on what you know now, what are you able to do live? Well, at the moment, what we've done is we've put together a program of live outdoor events at the ports of Cork and at Elizabeth Fort. And we also have plans to bring uh, live performances to people's homes as well through ARCITS. And they're for small audiences, socially distanced, uh, in, in control sites, you know, again, two iconic sites, the Port of Cork and, and Elizabeth Fort. And what we're doing is we're waiting um, just to hear more in terms of government guidelines and tickets for those will go on sale at the end of May pending those guidelines. Now, one thing that was a feature of the festival in the past, and I personally loved it myself, was going to new stuff, new work, sometimes in unusual locations. Can't do that this year, so a lot of it's going online. Well, we have a lot of new work in the festival this year because, as you say, that's a huge part of the festival is, is this, um, this new work and new, new artists supporting emerging artists as well alongside you know, more established national and international names. 
Um, so some of that, yes, will be happening online, but all of the artists have been working really hard to make sure that what's happening online is really innovative. Um, you can engage with the festival in different ways. You can engage with us through WhatsApp. There's a show where it'll be done entirely through WhatsApp. There's another show that we have, an international show, um, that, that will happen live online that needs you to download Instagram in advance. There's a sort of a live element there as well. We have one-on-one um, interactive live uh, online events as well. Um, and all of the theatre has been really imagined for this time. And we've, we've really achieved a lot, you know, over the last year online in terms of theatre. It's been really uh, uh, successful. A lot of companies have been really successful in terms of capturing that essence of theatre. Have to hand um, it online. to you. So I'm really excited about the online theatre that we have this year in the programme. Have to hand you reading the programme this morning and the amount of stuff you put online. It's an incredible job of work you've done to make it possible. Tickets are on sale from when? Tickets are on sale now for the online events and from the 24th of May for the live events. And all the details at corkmidsummer.com. That's right, yeah. Lorraine, good luck. Lorraine, good luck with it. And we will talk again before it starts. Uh, It's it's, it's always been a great festival. It's always a favourite of mine to used to be able to pop into town and go to something, maybe go to two things in the course of an evening. But now we'll just watch them online. Thank you very much. That's Lorraine May, Festival Director of the Cork Midsummer Festival. Kicks off 14th of June. Speaking of festivals, the Cork International Choral Festival, and of course Cork's 96 have been very proud partners with that. That begins online today, runs until the 2nd of May. All the details are at corkchoral.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. This is only about 10 seconds, but thank you very much to Antoinette who went to the trouble of finding it for me. It's a JWT ad from back in the day. Now, Scott Knock on the musical jingle. It's just a short one. But the reason I'm going to play it is just to hear, just to hear Larry Gogan's voice again. Here you go. Where's that gone to? Come back here for me. Come back and play. Yugoslavia, 69 pounds. Ibiza and Italy, 59 pounds. Go with Joe Walsh Tours. Simple as that. That's all it was. But thank you, Antoinette, for going to the trouble of finding that for me. 1850-715-996 on the Boris Johnson story from across the water. And it is a big story. How much money was spent on this apartment in number 10 Downing Street? He gets an allowance. Get this. He gets an allowance every year. An allowance of 30 grand to upkeep the apartment. He spent about 58 doing it up. Um, and, of course, where did the money come is the big question now. But there's a chair there. A chair cost six grand. A drinks cabinet cost about five grand. And everyone's asking the question now, who paid for it? Did he pay for it himself or did someone pay for it for him? And it's ah, it's all going a bit pear-shaped for Boris over there at the moment. Uh, Charlie, on your conversation starters, uh, oh, John says, with regard to that, um, look a bit closer to home. The Corpo spent €6,000 polishing door handles for an hour while not having enough budget to deal with the housing crisis. They leave Bojo in the Hapney place. 
I'm sure you could have taken out a tin of polish for less than that. I remember covering that story, John. Wasn't that for Charles and Camilla? Wasn't it? When they came to the City Hall, there was something like six grand turned out to be the the, the, the amount of money spent polishing doorknobs yeah, around City Hall. That was, that was a good story, I remember. Then there was a carpet back in the day. Uh, this is going back a while now. There was a carpet in the Lord Mayor's office and people had conniptions because it was about five grand for the carpet or maybe more. Um, starting conversations. Charlie, what's happening? What's going down? What's the story? Yes, lovely. Love that. Lauren, if you want to get on side with someone who's a bit older, say, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm beginning to think things are going to pass. <laughs> yeah. And Justin, here's a good one. Justin says, do you think books are coming back? This can go in any direction. They'll talk about the books they've read or how busy people are and not able to read books or how the internet has changed. That's a good one. I like that one. I like that one, Justin. If you have a good suggestion for starting a conversation, uh, 083 396 96 96. Now, have a listen to this. And there's so much colour, salsa, coastline, mountains, desert. And the people, the people are what make it. Their hearts are so big that... I don't know, at times I was like, are you serious? Like, you're actually offering me to come and like stay in your house for good? <laughs> like, they were so hospitable. They were like family. Like, I'd literally walk down the streets and within two seconds talk to somebody and I'd nearly be in their house. Now, that's the voice of Kate Manning from the Catch Kate podcast. And the conversation started from a little while back. Was it uh, Hannah's one? Yeah, you you look like you've been to interesting places, Hannah. I think that's a good way to bring you in. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. You're going. Oh, you're going through the various places that you've been, um, and I'll get to the podcast in a while. But but where did the travel bug start with you? So I suppose I was always like an explorer, really, at heart. You know, at a very young age, I used to wander off from the house and go exploring like all the local areas and sure I wouldn't come back until the evening so mm. I was always fascinated by you know well especially the natural world um, but I used to just go off and explore beaches and rock pools and you know I love the mountains as well and then it, over the years when I realised oh I earned money and then I kind of was able to go further afield but yeah it was just this desire to see all these beautiful places um, but I say it would have started around 18 because I was, I actually went into college and I was studying um, linguistics and we had the opportunity to study abroad. Mm. So I decided I'd head off to Belgium and that was really the, the start of it because I was thrown into another country with so, like three different languages and that's where it really started. What attracts you to try to find new places to visit? What attracted me? Is yeah, it? what is what like if you decide I want to go somewhere? What what's the thing that attracts you there? What draws you to a particular place? Um, definitely the nature or the wildlife, hundred percent. So those would have always been my kind of points of interest. So I would like I would like be buying, we'll say, Nacho magazines or watching documentaries, and I'd be like, oh, I want to see that place. Yeah. You know, it might be like a roaring volcano or it could be like a shaking earthquake zone or 
just something with the natural world or coral reefs like and then I'd be like I'm going there and I'd make my plan and I'd go and like nothing would stop me you know mm. and you packed in jobs you packed in everything you just went why, why did you decide to make such a huge move at the, at the base of it all actually was my awareness of climate change I just because I have such a deep connection with nature I just and, and, and seeing over the years what was happening like to the natural world I I really felt it in my heart. I was like, I I can't live on this planet and not see all these amazing sights before they're, you know, if they are even more destructive. So that really was the drive of the the desire to just leave and go. And even though it was so scary, like, you yeah. know... You I, went I on your own, week. like, didn't you? Yeah, I took a one-way ticket into Mexico. Are you mad? That's what everybody said. They were like, are you mad? You know, you're leaving a permanent job. You're mad. And you're, you know, that long blonde hair, you like to cut it off. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I just, um, the, the year I left, actually, I, I was still in a, uh, like a permanent job, like in Cork. I was in working with computers. And at the t- that yeah, actual year, I went off to Australia for a month and I was diving in the Great Barrier. Like, that was like a dream of mine. I was like, the Great Barrier is like renowned, you know, like as a natural site. And I just like, it hit me there. I was like, oh my God, like the corals are bleached. Like, what is going on? And like, is anybody aware of this, you know? So yeah. I said, I'm going to take off. I'm going to see all these like other coral reefs all along the Americas. And I I'm sorry, did you not actually go back from Australia? Did you just keep going? I came home, yeah, I came home and I did a few more months in my job. Right. And my friend actually in work, it was so funny because I said, I'm leaving, I'm going. She's like, no, 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 you can't. And I was like, I'm just going to go, I can't. <laughs> and then she like persuaded me kind of to stay a bit longer and then I just yeah. packed up and went. But I didn't really tell anybody, to be honest. I, I just kept it a secret because in the end, like many people would like say, like, you can't go to Mexico alone or any of those countries. It's so dangerous, like, you know. Yeah. Like, did you ever find yourself thinking, oh, God, what am I going to do now? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, uh, many times I was in danger. And, you know, even when I think of it now, like, I, I've no danger here at home. Like, it's so safe, like, so safe. But, like, over there, like, you do have that. And, like, even at times my heart was, like, pumping like wondering would I actually survive the scenario like it's a different world and and life and death can be completely you know sometimes <laughs> death and stuff like that you know mm. or like murders and stuff might be commonplace in some of those places and you know it's just a different way of life and living but yeah. you know I always say like 99% of people I met were amazing and I never experienced such generosity and welcoming and hosting from those countries I went into. Were, were you a bit of a curiosity for some people, this young woman travelling on her own seeing the world? <laughs> I'd say so, yeah. You know, the first week or two, I actually landed into Texas first and they were like, where are you going? And what do you do? They were like, what's your job? What do you do? And sure, I'd only been like a week out of work. Like I literally left the job and went. And I was like, the first week, I was like, how do I, what do I do? Um, what do I do? And I was like, um, I'm just on the road, you know, it was so funny. And they were like, where are you going? And I used to just shrug my shoulders and they used to laugh away like, it's like you're mad. And I was like, I know. This was Texas? <laughs> Sorry? This was Texas, was it? Yeah, that was in Texas, yeah. And that was the first place you went? Um, yeah, well, I stopped in Iceland first and then I went okay. down into Texas. Do. And then down from Texas into Mexico. And at the time when I was in Texas, they were like, do you want to change your mind now? Like, because you don't even speak Spanish. Like, are you, you're mad. Like, you're going to Mexico City alone. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
But um, so you arrive at a place like Mexico City, and you've no Spanish, and you've mm. never been there, and you're on your mm. own. Yeah. So what do you do then? <laughs> oh, it was mad. And do you know what? I was winging it the whole time. I didn't even have accommodation when I landed. Like that's how crazy it was. Like yeah. I, I it was just yeah. Uh, but then I got in, like, and I was like, I got a taxi. I had an idea of an hostel I was going to stay in, like, I had the name of it. But at the time, I was like, am I, do I really want to stay in this city? Like, or do I want to just get out and get a bus somewhere into, a, 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 like, another village so I can be a bit more, you know, out of the city? Because sometimes the cities can be quite chaotic and, and yeah. crying. Get out but of here, actually, get safe. But actually, I got a taxi all right then, and I kept thinking it was my first cab I got, and I was like, oh my God, like, you know, because everybody was talking about these ransoms, and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be taken away. But you know <laughs> what? The man was lovely, and I had my few, I had, I spoke French, like, so I was kind of speaking a couple of Latin words, you know, but he was grand, and he dropped me off exactly at the door, and I got into the hostel, and there I met the Mexican uh, hospitality at its best. Like, yeah. the hostel owner took me in. She minded me. She took me around her car in the evenings. Like, I became, like, friend and family to, like, so many countries. Like, I can't even express yeah. how much, how nice they are, you know. They're yeah, amazing people. Yeah. You had many, many adventures, I'd say. Did you oh, ever feel in danger? I did, yeah. I did, of course. 100%. Yeah. Um, loads of different things. <laughs> but um, the majority of it, I was... It was just like being alone is quite a fascination for people when you're away, especially on that side of the world. Cause it was very uncommon for a woman to be alone, and especially the areas I went into. Like I didn't really stay in the tourist hotspots. Like I was going way out into the jungles, and the, I visited tribal communities. I was right out in the middle of nowhere in most places, and and it was so rare, like you know, and. And why you just sort of, you'd see, I, I have to go into this place. I don't know what's in here. I don't know what I'm going yeah. to find. Is that what it just, you took, you took you where your nose led you? Yeah, exactly. Just, I kind of, I was flowing, like, you know, and your your instinct and your intuition become really, like, you you become, you kind of start living a different kind of way. Like, it's less kind of with your head and more with your heart and your body, knowing where you're safe, you know. Um, so you know at times like even if I went out in the evening like I have these little rules in my head like maybe like right Kate if it gets dark you get in before it's dark you don't stay out in the dark and you know I just kind of felt my way with people like you know like sometimes I'd be on a bus so I was in Colombia and I was on a bus one day like Colombians are amazing like and, and they'd see me alone and they'd be like are you alone and I'd kind of know like whether to say yes or no or like I, I'd have a story and I'd say oh I'm travelling with like two weeks and they'd be like how's your Spanish so good and I'd be like um, I was on an exchange there back last year <laughs> but I'm, I was literally on the road for like 10 or 11 months by that stage you know and I'd have all these weird kind of slang words from different countries but they kind of like oh that's very interesting <laughs> yeah. but um another yeah, place was Cuba now Cuba yeah. fantastic music colour yeah. C- cigars the size of baseball bats yeah and much more besides I imagine what do you think of Cuba? oh fascinating absolutely fascinating country I just and I still have like my friends there that I contact and they're just oh like the way they've been brought up and the way they live is completely different and um, yeah like I remember even one day I was um, chatting to 
a guy at the local market and like he was telling me he was like what's it like on a plane and like I was explaining to him all about the plane journey and I just realised at that moment I was like God like we're so lucky like he will never get on a plane like you know and and mm. I had to explain to him and he was like you know 45 or something but it's such such a different way of living but like um, my heart really went out because like you know like their way of life is completely different and yeah. Yeah, we all have a different... That's the fascinating thing about travelling. Like, you learn about the cultures and all of that. And just, yeah. Gives you perspectives on the way we were brought up ourselves, doesn't it? And how much we take for granted. 100%. Like, you must have seen some astonishing poverty around the the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I stayed with the locals as well. Like, that was part of my thing. Like, I wanted to be my carbon footprint, keep it as low as possible. So I wasn't going into any mega resorts or chains. Like I was literally going and staying with locals and villages and stuff. Yeah. And, and I would stay in houses that would have like, you know, five hammocks in one room. Like, and, and people then would be like, oh, I'd love a hammock for my house. And you're like, these people literally, that that's their bed. Like, you know, like that that's their bed. That's their living room sofa as well. You know, it's all one thing and it's shared. And it's just, it's such a... Actually, you know, at times I thought like, wow, like they live actually in a beautiful way. Like a lot of, a lot of them are actually very content and, and yes. they know what the value is. They're content with an awful lot less than what we've been brought up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no kind of like more, 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 more. It's very much like family sharing based and it's beautiful actually to experience that. Yeah. Um, Another place was Colombia. Now that's yeah. got to be dangerous, at least if we're <laughs> to believe what we hear. It actually wasn't. It was lovely. It was amazing. And I worked on a farm there as well. It was absolutely incredible. And I visited a desert there and, oh, just an incredible country. Um, and the people just, like, they'd, they'd walk up to you on the street and be like, Do you, like, like, how are you? What are you up to? Where are you going? <laughs> they're just the most, they're incredible. They've incredible life in them, you know, like dancing and liveliness and the fiesta all the time. Like, I was like, I need to have a night in, like, because they love the fiesta, you know. Right. Oh, right. Because obviously the impression we get, I suppose we probably watch a bit too much television, oh. is that it's it's a crazy place and very, very dangerous. But you didn't find that. No. No. And I, 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 like, to be honest, I didn't watch those series, but I know a lot of people did. Yeah. <laughs> and when I told people, I was like, I'm gonna, I actually sailed from Panama to Colombia um, over, like, a, a week's journey out in the open sea, and it was absolutely incredible. And those Colombians on the boat as well, and, and a guy from El Salvador who was, um, like, the captain and stuff. And I'm sure I was chatting to them the whole journey down, and I just couldn't even... We were working, working on that boat, or were you just a passenger? I actually did do a teeny bit of work on it because I used to end up working in loads of places like because I just really was so keen to learn, you know. And I was like, I love sailing, teach me how to sail. And they were like, right, so um, come on out here and we'll teach you and you can have a go. And uh, I used to do the night watch and stuff. And, and of course, I'm fascinated by the wildlife. So I was, I didn't really mind. Like, I was uh, really Yeah. How did you yeah. finance it all, Kate? Finance? Well, I did save up over the years before I left. So I was, yeah, I was working in Cork um, in IT for a few years. So I was saving away there. And I'm very minimalist, you know, like I I try to, because I'm so conscious of the planet as well and waste and all of that, like, you know, we just, we're very, 
the consumers and is a big thing like and, and we don't need all the stuff we have like so I guess I'm, I'm able to save easily because I don't buy yeah. waste you know yeah. like, so it, it was handy enough for me and I, I, I just kind of um, I did that and then over the journey as well I didn't travel like a like a somebody might do for you know when you spend quite a lot over a week or two but yeah. I I did it very backpacking kind of a style so I yeah. would you ex- have exchanged you said you worked your way around would you have exchanged a bit of work for a few nights to stay or yeah yeah, yeah the yeah, bartering going on um, yeah, bartering. you got to yeah, you, you got to Antarctica yeah oh uh, God, yes. and you say you still dream about it oh still yeah it's Oh, I can't. I've no. Sometimes I've no words to describe it. I just smile because I'm really. Like, it's so hard to explain how amazing it is and the wildlife and oh, like it's just. I it's, it's and the cold. Like, how did you get there? I mean, so basically, what I did was I was um, I was in Argentina at the time. I was up around Patagonia, traveling around there, the glaciers, the mountains. Oh, if you've seen pictures of it like oh my god it's unreal and I was like oh I need to get down to the end of the world it's actually called Fin del Mundo and it's literally the base point of the the Americas like the, literally the end of the world and I got down there I actually hitchhiked down like a mad girl um, and <laughs> I didn't tell my family though but I, I got down to the end anyways and I was like walking along at the port in Ushuaia which is the town down the end I was like, oh, like, I, like, what am I going to do? Like, you know, and I'm, I'm so aware of what's happening to the planet, climate change. I was like, this is your shot now, Kate. Like, if you don't go now, you'll never get there. Like, mm. you have to do it and just YOLO. So I walking. <laughs> Kate, <laughs> will you let me take a break? Because we got on a bit longer than I thought. I want to, I, I want to oh, get a, I want to no get a bit worries. further with you because no I have worries. a couple more questions. For you. I just get a quick commercial break and and come back. Okay. And with uh, Kate Manning, who has travelled the seven continents by the age of 27 and we're kind of going through some of the places that she's been and it's fascinating and we'll be back to it Can we just talk The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With Dairy Made Premium Spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream Staying with Antarctica and I suppose climate change was kind of what motivated you to see the world I suppose before some of these wonderful places are gone like taking your climate change uh, interest and looking at Antarctica that must have um, w- 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 did, you, did you have any particular thoughts there? Did I have any particular thoughts, thoughts about climate change? Um, well yeah I suppose it's all about the um, the ice cap melting and, and the, the icebergs and all of that and I suppose the habitat destruction as well for the penguins um, because you know the less ice we have the less homes for those species that depend on the ice you know and I suppose the two polar regions like the north and south pole they're both kind of the most hit places and again they're actually the the most places I guess that have less inhabitants so maybe we're less aware of how much they're being affected because we're not seeing it firsthand you know so going out there and seeing it and talking with like you know scientists on the ship and all sorts of educative lessons we had on the ship it was amazing actually so um that was just it was a beautiful um mm. experience are there people got, living there there are like base stations so certain countries in the world like Antar- or argentina uh, russia the u.s 
um, they have like an agreement set up there, like the Antarctic Agreement. So they would have base stations of scientific research. Right. And, um, but there's no natives, no? No. That's the only place on the planet, would you believe, that never had human, like, kind of influence. So really? It's only, yeah, it's the only place we didn't inhabit. Um, so it, it's amazing. That's why... I was like, I need to go there, like, and see this untouched land. Um, so it's crazy. Amazing. I didn't know. I didn't know that. Now that no one, it's the only place I knew. I knew. I, I always thought there was some kind of native people there, but no, no, no natives. They're all sort of coming from bases and explorers and scientists and all that. Well, wow. yeah, exactly. And we actually got to visit the Chinese base station, which was really cool. So they had all these like vehicles, like with massive. Um, oh, you should just see them. They're crazy, interesting, like mm-hmm. huge tires and sort of um, like yeah, very very quaint, cool place. So cool. of all the places you've been, okay, two things. One. Where's the fu- if if I could tell you tomorrow you can get back on a plane or <laughs> go wherever where's the first place you would want to go back to and where's the one place you haven't gotten to yet that you absolutely must get to oh wow. um oh it's kind of a split the first one <laughs> between um Antarctica and the Galapagos right um, the Galapagos is just out of this world. I watched like, a David Attenborough series about it actually, I think last year. What an incredible yeah. place. I it, it's just fascinating, like so like basically like we've gone through many mass extinctions and in the Galapagos has, has had many species that have survived, like mm. endemic ones, so they don't exist anywhere else on the planet. So That's it's right. super unique and like just to witness that wildlife and the diving there, if if you're into scuba diving, it's just like talk about sharks everywhere, turtles everywhere, yeah. hammerheads. Oh, like it's yeah. out of this world. Attenborough so did a brilliant series. It's worth finding. Actually, he did an incredible series about and the whole yeah. history and the, evol- the evolution of them is, is fabulous. Yeah. And then it's one amazing. place that you've never been to that you'd absolutely must get. Um, my God, I, I'd love to actually go on and, and see the plains down in Africa. Do you know where all the? Well, I have been to Africa, but I mean proper into the wilderness. Do you know and see like all the wildlife roaming wild. You know, yeah. Um, Could get eaten out there. That's the problem. Or else, or up to the Arctic. Um, I'm mad for the cold, like the icebergs and all of it, like and, and the remoteness. Yeah, of it. I love like, it. when you got to Antarctica and and you got into that part of the world, like you've been to some yeah. of the hottest parts of the world, yeah. jungles and yeah. islands. Yeah. I, did that, does anything prepare you for the cold? warm there <laughs> I actually went in March right? right and it was that summer time it was, I was actually on one of the last ships to go down because they stopped in in the winter because the ice cover covers over but um, like actually it was like zero degrees maybe minus something but like you, you'd be well layered like so the day before I actually booked my ticket the day before and I got a good deal like I was like put me on the ship tomorrow <laughs> Um, so I went around the town and I got a proper pair of um, trousers and proper gloves and that. And it's great, great. But um, yeah, we did gym on the ship and everything like sh- and a sauna. <laughs> You'll be warm. I'd say the sauna's a popular that that part of the world. Yeah, and it was incredible. Like you go into the sauna and then you step out the back of the ship, right? And you be in your bikini or your togs, whatever. And then you can look up the sky down in the southern ocean and you see the whole sky 
and it's just like you just keep having to pinch yourself. You're like, what is going on? Like, where am I? This is incredible, you know. Oh, yeah. Now you've been to the bottom. You'll have to get to the top of the world oh, I at, know. at some <laughs> stage. Kate, the yeah. podcast is called Catch Kate. You have yeah. a book called Wild Adventures. Where can we get that? At the moment, it's on my website, and um, so you can get it on there. And I'm also doing um, like a signing on Saturday, so I have that going on as well um, at a local beach. And I also update on the Instagram, so if, if anybody wants to follow me on there, and I can, um, they'll know where to get the well, book. Your, and your all photographs that. are brilliant. Oh, thank you. And the one good. thing I am is, so I, if I've one regret in my life, it's that I didn't travel more. And yeah. I am so, so jealous of everything you've seen. Oh, but Pleasure I'm talking to you, Kate. Yeah, thanks a million. Thank An absolute you. pleasure talking care. to you. Thanks very much. Thank that, that's, Kate, that's Kate Banning. April has called the opinion line on the Cork's 96 FM. What was your one? A fella came up to you, April, and, and what happened? What was the conversation? Morning. So, yeah, uh, morning, PJ. How are you? Um, this was 20 years ago, PJ. I was down in um, Glandor, actually, the Marina Hotel. Lovely. It was the after the prize giving of the um, the Fastnet um, Fastnet rally. So uh, this guy came up to me and he said um, to me, um, "Did you hear, Kamar? Did you hear anything about the foreign policy in Beijing?" And I said, "Is that a rallying gig?" No, this is nothing. Like this is nothing to do with rally. The, the conversation started was nothing to do with rallying. This is just pure. Hmm. I was like. Did I hear anything about the foreign policy in Beijing? What, 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 what like what? What are you on about? Hello? And we, we, we both just started laughing and, um, yeah, that, 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 that was it, 20 years. And what, 20 what, years what did you, what did you think of him? Oh, uh, sure, he was great, Clark. He was a, a lovely guy. Um, uh, yeah, we got on great. That night we swapped phone numbers and, uh, yeah. And, and where is he now? Well, he's my husband now. We're ah! married. <laughs> two girls. Good Lord. Yeah, yeah. Come here, do you know what what the foreign policy in Beijing? Yeah, come here, did you hear anything about the foreign policy in Beijing, he said to me. Down in Glendore. Down in Glendore, in the the Marina Hotel. In the Marina Hotel. 1998. What's his name? John, John Sinclair. Did you ever pursue the conversation about the foreign policy in Beijing, or was it just a line? It was just a line, actually, that he, he got from a friend of his, and um, i sure he hadn't a clue about why he was even asking me himself, you know. <laughs> um, and it was just, I said, where did you hear that from? And he said, oh, I heard it from my friend Willie, so I said I'd use it. And he did, and sure, it worked. Here we are now. And uh, listen, listen, girls. listen, April. That's the best I've heard in a long time. Brilliant. Yeah, Thank you yeah. very much for that. In regards to him too, that's April. Now, we're looking for conversation starters. This complete stranger, this randomer, walks up to her in the hotel in Glendore 20 years ago, lovely hotel down in beautiful Glendore, and says, come here, do you hear anything about the foreign policy in Beijing? And she looks around and she goes, well, and they're married 20 years on. I absolutely love that. Come here, busy weekend ahead in the Premier League. And this Saturday, you can join Trevor Welsh on 96fm.ie or, of course, on the app for the Premier League, powered by TalkSport. Busy, busy day for Trev and the team on Saturday. Exclusive live coverage of Crystal Palace v Man City at 12.30. Brighton against Leeds at 3. Chelsea against Fulham at half five. And finishing out with Everton 
the Aston Villa at 8 o'clock. All live and exclusive and all free on the Cork's 96FM app. It's the Premier League live online with now only play for the games that matter to you. Sport on your terms with now. And listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Completely forgot to go through bundles of your comments on bins and what the county chief executive is proposing with regard to litter across the summer. Not a lot of people very really happy with his idea that if, he'd, if he could, he'd take away the bins and force people to take their stuff home. Uh, I'll read them before we finish out today, but I want to go to Formoy, uh, to a man who goes by the glorious nickname of Kipper the Skipper. Chris, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? How good. are you listening? This is about the famous wheelchair boat in Formoy, which I've seen up close. It's, it's a fabulous uh, craft. It's the only one of its kind in the country, I think. Yeah, well, it, it, it's not the only one now. There's been updated models, and uh, there's one or two spread around the country. But uh, it was launched in March 2007, and it was the first of its kind, not only in Cork, but in the whole of Ireland. Mm. Uh, it's a Mark III really boat, at a cost of €31,000. Yeah, and you, it's, uh, it's built in such a way you can get a wheelchair onto it and off of it nice and handy. Yeah, it's roll-on, roll-off, wheelchair accessible. It can take two chairs or one electric one. Um, yeah, and it's... Um, very, very well built boat. It's built by the Wheelie Boat Trust in the UK. Right. Uh, sadly, we couldn't get one here in Ireland, so we had to go to the UK to get one. Right, um, right. And obviously, COVID knackered you last summer, but you're hoping to get back on the water this year, are you? Well, well we we were on the water last year with the, young, the youngsters uh, angling. We had an angling program there for the young fellas last year, and again, we have it for this year. But then we're excluding the wheelchair user and we're also excluding the general public if we didn't go to a GoFundMe policy for, for this year. Yeah. Um, now, sadly, we, we had the COVID last year and we have the COVID this year, but we also have the wear, the issue of the wear and from why. So that's, still, to, that's, that's still going on, is it? it? It's still going on. There is no work being carried out. Only, only surveys, etc. cetera, being done. Um, no, so we we need the water levels to operate properly. We run a tour, which takes an hour and a half, up and down to Michael Flatley's house. Um, and we can't get up there most of the time on account of the, the water levels due due to the the destruction of the well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's very, very sad. Because yeah. one time back in 2017, we used to be able to bring, including the wheelchair user on the boat, we used to be drifting under the bridge in Formoy and do a little U-turn, and the kids used to absolutely love it because for them to, to them, I was doing a handbrake turn, you know? <laughs> uh, uh, and they used to love, love going under the bridge and, of course, the stone walking from my bridges. It is fantastic. I, fantastic. So you're trying to and raise some money. How much do you need to raise, Chris? Well, we, our average running costs run between twelve to 1400 a year. That's so what we want to do... No, it's not a lot, no. Um, it's up and going anyway, but... We need 3,000 because we want to be safe enough for next year because we, we, we don't know where we stand. We, you know, we, with the wear, we don't know where we stand with COVID. So we like to have two years in our team, you know, two years in the team. Okay. So uh, where can people go to help? Well, basically, they can just go into their search engines on the phone or computer and they can look for... Um, it's on the GoFundMe page, Jenny. It's keep our wheelchair-friendly boat afloat. 
and that's for mine. Like you know, so uh, it's easy free. enough to find. Right. Keep the wheelchair friendly, both afloat. Okay. Uh, okay, and that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're a voluntary non-profit organisation, and you know, um, we just like to keep this going because we are running a program for the children this year angling, and. We also got an investment in by IFI sponsored us for a new canopy for the boat. Right. I couldn't turn it down because it's for a future investment. Of course it is. And, and if the general public see us operating with this real snazzy looking boat, this being called the Little Cruise Liner, by the way, <laughs> um, if they see us operating up and down the river with the children fishing and they can't access it, it's going to look bad for me and it's going to look, look bad for our group okay. because we, we, we operate this boat over buckets. Um, every year we have a flag there and we have few donations from, from here and there and that's all we op- you know that's how we operate well if, we our, if our listeners can help you in, in any way I, I know they'll be delighted to do it Chris thank you very much Chris O'Donovan Kipper the Skipper from the Formoy Wheelchair Boat Keep Our Wheelchair Friendly Boat Afloat is their little GoFundMe they're not looking to raise a whole pile of money just a couple of grand to keep them going this year and looking in to next year put a few bob in the kitty literally like he said they operate out of a bucket uh, it's a collection that keeps them going every year to get the wheelchairs onto the boat and uh, give people the pleasure of going on the water 1850-715-996. Lastly today, I will finish some of those comments before we finish out, but um, here's a cool idea from Lena Angland. Lena, this is an app, special app for kids. Very local, though. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are we? Great. What have you done? So, PJ, great to be on to talk about Wonderful. So, yes, this is an app. It's called Wonderful. It's to get children outdoors, active and learning. I guess today, PJ, we're all struggling with um, kids stuck inside behind tablets and behind technology, and technology is keeping people in as opposed to getting them out. So this is a novel idea to incentivize children to get them out and active. And we have a pilot trail down in Drunking Woods and in the Shannon. Nice. So you can download the app. The app is free. It's all about getting you out there. But the app doesn't work unless you're in Drumkeen. Right. So it's to incentivize you to go for a walk. And then what's interesting about it is with the app, you will go on a walk and you will look for certain symbols that are in the woods. Right. And when you locate them, you'll hold up the app camera. And for instance, you look for one symbol that has a blue feather. When you hold up the app camera to the blue feather, you will meet a beautiful 3D animation of a kingfisher bird that is one of our native Irish animals and the trail itself oh, has Oh, so you look through your phone at the trees and there's the kingfisher. And you'll meet the kingfisher. Kenny the kingfisher, as we call him in our case. And then when you when you have the, the, the animation, when, when you meet Kenny, let's say, um, you can take pictures with him as if you're holding him, as if he's on your shoulder. Oh, wow. And then you learn facts about him. And the whole thing is, like, I guess the wildlife that's on this trail, they're all native Irish wildlife. Right. They're just all very clever at hiding the, the usual ones. So these virtual ones will actually appear for you and right. you get to meet them and learn a bit about them. And again, it just gamifies the walk for people, for, for, for smallies. And it's a carrot, you know, I have three small children. Yeah. Anything to keep them moving, PJ? I know, um, so I, I know. I know it's such a, <laughs> such a cool idea. Now, you're a software developer by trade, so I take it that it was you to develop this. Any idea that any plans to roll it out beyond your own local area? Oh, Peter, the dream here is that this will be in multiple locations because the whole why behind Wonderful is to get children outdoors, active learning, and the more venues it in, it's in, 
the more opportunities we have to that you can go and have a wonderful experience yeah. for your Sunday walk or it Friday sounds after brilliant. Well, what's the reaction been like? Do you know it's been fab? As in, um, like I launched the pilot on the twenty first of February, and you know I didn't know how it was going to be received because this is very different, and it's been amazing. I'll be honest with you, it's been so lovely meeting people that have gone oh my god we're up in the woods we've actually been up there three times trying it out and the kids love meeting the animals can't believe what I've learned Um, people have said I I didn't even realise there was a woods in Inishannon no I've been there a few times it's been amazingly cool actually the reaction Um, and like once I get you to the woods at all I'm winning I just want you to get out and get active and then if you have fun with this so Come back to it. Take the 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 kingfisher as as an example, because you explained. So Mm -hmm. I can then the kingfisher comes up in the in the camera screen, and then I can walk into the picture and have my photograph taken with the. That's brilliant. What you're looking for is there's a symbol in the woods. I can't tell you where it is, PJ. You have to go find it. Of course, course, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But um, you look for the symbol. Once you find it, then once you hold up the app camera at that symbol, the animation comes to life, and it's a three D animation. You can pivot your camera or your phone all around this the, the the image and you'll get a full 3D experience of this kingfisher and he's moving and then you can put your hand under him as if you're holding it so ah, the idea is stop. that you can take a picture and My childhood is a long time behind me but I want to try this Yeah well as I say it's for children from 3 to 83 as in um, if, you've, if there's any bit of a child in you at all and you like discovering things on trail and literally to meet wildlife um, that you've heard about, learned about, but you never meet I love them. it, Lena. I love it. I love it. And fair play to you for, for the, using your skills as a development engineer to do it. It's called Wonderful, as in wonderful with an A. Exactly. So the aim, PJ, is we add a little wonder to your wonder. That's the that's the aim. So oh, wonderful.ie cool. um, to get to the app. The app is free. Again, the whole incentive behind this is to get you out, active learning. It's for the family unit. All you need is a phone in your pocket, and away you go. Uh, it couldn't. Be, it couldn't. It couldn't be cooler. And I, I wish you so much success with it. And I hope that you do get to live the dream to bring it everywhere. Because it's a, that sounds like something. And I'm not joking here. That sounds like some, something that with the right backing could be global. It's such a simple idea. Wonderful, it's called. It's an app. Uh, Lena, thank you very much and good luck with it. 1850-715-996 with another €500 donation for Radiothon. Thank you, Tim. We'll set that up downstairs. Briefly, on the bins and litter. What a joke of a proposal. We need more amenities, more toilets, more bins. People will always misuse and pollute. There'll always be a small section of society that'll do it. However, the vast majority behave accordingly and would use more bins. Then every time we go for a picnic, we bring our own bag and bring our own rubbish home. No heartache. I think people have brought the stuff. The empty stuff can go back in the same bag they came in. It's called personal responsibility. Thank you, caller. One of the biggest stories we see, says Ryan, is illegal dumping. And now we're talking about taking away the bins. Unfortunately, everyone in this lovely county we live in aren't cut from the same cloth. Jar says, PJ, there's one bin on the full length of Skihard Road. Just one outside Super Value. It's ridiculous. Uh, Tony then says, in privatisation of refuse services, left us with a rump that is not good enough to cope. It's a pity the issue wasn't raised with him. Tony, whether it's Mickey Mouse or the county council put the bin there, people are abusing them. So that's got sweet damn all to do with privatisation. Please now. 
I'm with the county manager on this. I'm definitely with the county manager on this. Bring your stuff home and don't be trying to tell me it's anybody else's job. Stick that in your pipe, as they used to say. That's it. The programme edited by Terry Brennan. Produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And see you tomorrow just after nine. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.